Welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy right here, right now, I get to have a conversation with somebody that I remember seeing on this documentary when I was about 12 years old with my friends. And at the time, you know, living in Australia, it's very hard to find out information on certain things at the time because we weren't very savvy with the internet. So for quite some time, we had no idea what happened to this man and another guy that was on that documentary. But of course, all these years later, I've done my research. I know all about this guy and I'm so excited to learn about his time of pro wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the incomparable Mr. Tony Jones. How are you, sir? No, that's great. Thank you so much. I guess you could have you could threw Shooter in there. But, you know, that's, that, was, that was a great introduction. Thank you, man. No problem, sir. Uh, so great to have the chance to talk to you. Uh, first question usually is how you became a pro wrestling fan, but I, I wanted to kind of ask it in a different way. Uh, firstly, were you a pro wrestling fan or did you get into amateur wrestling first? Um, I was a pro wrestler first. No, I'm sorry. Um, it's a little hot where I am. I have this fan that keeps shutting off like every, like, I don't know, 10, 10 minutes or so. So I'm just tapping it. Okay. So if you see me doing that, I'm sorry. Cool. So, um, y- yeah. So you know, I was a pro wrestling fan first. Um, some of my early memories were uh, my, my mother and my father taking me to the Cow Palace to see Ray Stevens and uh, Pat Patterson. And um, uh, I, I think it was Roy Shire. Um, I think it was that that was the promoter at the time. It was before Vern Gagne took over the Cow Palace. Um, one of the first matches I think I remember, um, and I remember talking to Dave Meltzer about this. And Dave, I mean, when I brought this up, Dave knew exactly what what I was talking about, and he was the only guy I'd ever said this to in my entire life. And he was like, "Oh yeah, that was like 1979 or something like." I, I can't remember the year, but he told me the year it was, and he remembered everything. I'm like, "Oh, is that was that it, Dave?" But I remember um, Dusty Rhodes against Pat Patterson, and I um, I believe that was the match, and it was like for the United States for the United States Championship. Pat Patterson was the heel, and he hits Dusty. Dusty goes out into the floor. He goes out into the floor, hits Dusty with a chair. Dusty goes down. All of a sudden, Dusty gets up, blood all over the place. I remember sitting probably like second or third row with my parents, and I mean I could just see the blood dripping off his forehead. And Dusty climbs up onto the apron and Patterson just comes over and kicks him on the forehead. He goes down and I'm like, oh, this looks so brutal. And <laughs> Dusty gets back in the ring and Pat Patterson starts hitting on the cut, hitting on the cut. And Dusty starts shaking and starts fighting back. And all of a sudden, you know, Pat Patterson's afraid of him and Dusty bumps him and bumps him and bumps him. And now Dusty's mad and hits him with the bionic elbow. Pat Patterson scoots and I was hooked. That was it. <laughs> I, that was my, I think that's my earliest memory i love the idea of the guy just getting beaten up beaten up beaten up also he just comes back out one of my favorite movies is rocky you know so i think the whole concept of you know you know the bad guy beating on the good guy the good guy coming back later i learned to appreciate the bad guy you know more <laughs> and stuff like that but you know that's i think that's what kind of hooked me you know just like all the kids you know you like you like the superheroes and 
things like that. And that's kind of like what hooked me into, you know, into pro wrestling. And um, to kind of to kind of follow up on your question, um, when I got into high school, um, I wasn't really an athlete. I was pretty much like a like a homebody. You know, I just pretty much stayed at home, watched television, did things like that. I'd go outside every now and then, play with my friends. But when I got into high school, I joined the wrestling team because it had the word wrestling in it. And, you know, it wasn't the same as pro wrestling. And I knew that, but it was still wrestling, you know. So the only reason I joined amateur wrestling was because it was wrestling, which was, you know, some form of pro wrestling. So, um, so yeah, that's how I, that's how I got into amateur wrestling. It was because of, it was because of pro wrestling. Right. Cool. Um, it's so funny. The amount of people I've interviewed uh, on this show and Dusty Rhodes name always gets brought up uh, when, when they got hooked, either watching him on TV or, or watching him uh, perform locally. It's it just uncanny to me how many people bring up that man's name. Um, but I, I do- it was, it was, it was, it was I, I, let me just, let me just say, you know, cause uh, Dusty, yeah. Dusty was such a huge influence early in my, and early in my life. It, it was the charisma, really what it was, you know, it was, it was the charisma. I mean, Hulk Hogan had, had charisma too. And, you know, he had that fire and everything, but you know, Dusty, you know, looking like the common man, you know, you just kind of got behind him more, I think. I, you know, I really thought about, you know, I thought about, the wrestling business and I've thought about you know what actually hooks people and what really gets these guys over and I think it was you know the way Dusty looked and all this kind of stuff he looked like the common guy he looked, he looked like the a regular guy out there so I think you got behind him whereas Hulk Hogan you know he's larger than life he's a big guy you know you expect him to kind of you know fight back but Dusty I think you got behind him more so I think that was the that was the appeal of you know Dusty and no you know the gimmick the American dream and so, yeah, I, I've thought about that a lot. So I just wanted to kind of tell you, that I think that's why people have Dusty as a heavy influence, in my opinion. Yeah, and I can say that because, you know, it's not like Dusty had a, a like a four or five year <laughs> long title reign where he was always winning, whereas Hogan always won every single time. <laughs> so I think people, you know, you get behind that underdog. Uh, so I can totally understand that. Um, so amateur wrestling. OK, you got into it because the word wrestling was in it. Um, uh, I watched this thing with uh, Kurt Angle. Uh, he was talking to uh, Chad Gable and uh, Otis uh, on a, a WWE table for three. And they were talking about when they first started and Otis didn't realize that it was actual proper wrestling. Uh, and in his first match, he punched the guy in the face. Uh, <laughs> uh, for, for you, how did you take to amateur wrestling? Um, you know, you signed up because the word wrestling was in it, but uh, did you know what you were getting into when you when you started getting into it? And, and how long into it did you realize that you're actually starting to get quite good at this? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna give you a real you know quick story. Um, it's a uh, it's a story that I'm gonna probably end up putting like in a book or something like a you know a self help book kind of a thing. But um, my story basically goes: um, I, I I went to uh, Reardon High School, at, you know, in San Francisco. And um, when I when I joined the wrestling team as a freshman, I had never at that point done a sport, you know, in my life. And I'd never really like, you know, got with the guys and played, you know, tackle football or, you know, uh, played, you know, football. I mean, uh, basketball, baseball, any of those kind of sports got the guys getting together at the park, you know, stuff like that. Right. I never really was into that. Always like music, movies, television, wrestling, thing, things that were like, you know, on television at home. So I did a lot of that, right? So now I'm at um, I'm in high school, and now I'm with guys who had been doing most of that kind of stuff most of their lives. So I joined the wrestling team, and I literally lost every single match. Um, every single match, I was pinned. I didn't just lose, 
you know, by points. Because in rest in amateur wrestling, you lose by points, you can lose by pin, you can, you know, you can lose by technical pin. You know, um, I lost by pinfall. Every single match my freshman year, the guy held me down and I couldn't get up. And I remember um, my I went to my mother and I told my mother I can't do this no more. I'm embarrassed. I keep getting beat. You know, help me, help me quit, right? Because I don't want to sound like a quitter. So my uh, my coach calls the house and I talk to my mother about talking to him and telling him to quit for me. So she said, I'd rather uh, Tony not wrestle anymore. You know, I got some things for him to do and I don't want his grace to slip. So I'd rather him not wrestle anymore. And uh, this coach, his name was Steve Swanson. Um, he said, no, I'm not gonna let you quit for Tony. Um, Tony is weak and we're gonna toughen him up. Now, if Tony quits, then I'll let him quit, but I'm not gonna let you quit for him. And my mother said, I, he won't let me quit for you. So I remember getting really upset and training really hard the summer. And I came back and joined the junior varsity team. And I, I, think, I, I think I got like a 500 record. I did, you know, did really well. I came back into varsity and I did very well. I became like, you know, one of the top guys on the team. And, you know, and then my senior year, you know, I was, you know, I was the league champion and um, sections, you know, winner and kind of, you know, my career kind of took off after that wrestling coach said, no, I'm not going to let him quit, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's kind of like my story. Um, I kind of went in and got humiliated and didn't like it and came back from it. So no, yeah, that's how, that's how it kind of went for me. Ah, that's excellent. Very, very, very inspiring stuff. I love hearing stuff like that. So that's, that's really cool. Thank you for uh, indulging me in that. Um, uh, I, I wanted to ask, uh, okay, as, as time wears on you, uh, in your amateur career, um, what, what leads you to deciding to, to get into pro wrestling and, and how was training under Mike Modest? Um, so I, uh, when I was wrestling at San Francisco State, I ended up, you know, going to college, wrestling at San Francisco State. And while I was wrestling there, I was working at a video store called uh, Captain Video. And this guy, I used to always play, you know, we're supposed to play new release titles and things like that to kind of promote the movies that we're renting. But I would always put up wrestling because I wanted to watch wrestling and it was kind of against store policy, but you know, I was the manager and I kind of just did what I wanted. So I'd always have wrestling up on the screen, right? And the customer would come in and they'd, they'd laugh at me for watching it. And uh, this one guy comes in and he looks at it and he was like, oh, you like wrestling? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you ever thought about being a pro wrestler? And I said, no, not really. And uh, he said, he said, uh, do you play a sport? And I said, no, I wrestle at San Francisco State. And he said, well, when you're done wrestling at State, you know, talk to me. So the guy continued to come into the store over the next couple of years. And then I told him one day, I said, yeah, I finished wrestling at San Francisco State. So he told me, he goes, yeah, I'd like to introduce you to a guy that I know. His name's Roland Alexander. And I said, uh, I said, oh, well, you know, what's he about? And he said, well, he owns a wrestling school out in Hayward. And, you know, I'd like to take you out there. Maybe you can talk to him and see how it goes. So I went out and met Roland and um, told him I'd been a wrestling fan my whole life. I'd wrestled at San Francisco State and everything. And Roland's face, I remember Roland's face really lighting up, right? And right off the, and I give Roland all the credit in the world. Um, right off the bat, Roland goes, you know, this is going to be great. You're going to be our shooter. And I said, oh, what's, what's that mean? And he said, you're, 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 you're the shooter. You're going to be the one, you're the, you're the real amateur wrestler. You're the, you're the, you're, you're a real wrestler. And I said, oh, you don't have real wrestlers here. And he goes, oh, we got a lot of tough guys here. You know, we have a lot of real tough, strong guys, you know, but we don't have any like amateur wrestlers, not with your credentials. You're going to be our shooter. 
And I said, oh, okay. He goes, Shooter Tony Jones. He goes, that's who you're going to be. We're going to use your real name because when they look you up, we want them to say, oh, wow, he really did wrestle at San Francisco State. It's going to bring credibility to our company. And I remember Roland was just from the, I mean, I didn't even take my first bump yet. And Roland had my gimmick <laughs> and what he wanted to do with me. And, and I remember when I very, my very first time, he said, why don't you come to the training session, meet some of the guys. And I remember I came to one of the training sessions. And when I came to the training session, like the guys were coming up to me one by one. And they're like, oh, you're the amateur wrestler, huh? You know, so, so that's kind of like, that's how, that's how I kind of got into pro wrestling. Um, uh, you know, you said trained under Mike Modest, you know, um, I, I, you know, I really never really trained under Mike. Right. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of people, you know, Mike, Mike did, uh, Mike did train a lot of the guys and Mike is a damn good trainer, you yeah. know, and, um, and, um, but no, I never trained under Mike. Um, I, when I came into APW, I, uh, I trained under Matt Heisen. Spec, spec okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so, you know, and, um, guys in my class were, uh, Donovan Morgan, um, yeah. uh, uh Vic, vicious Vic Grimes. Um, you know, we had a lot of good guys in our, you know, in our group. Um, those are probably some of the guys you may be more familiar with Donovan Morgan, you know, Donovan had done a lot of stuff, you know, he's not really in, on the scene as much, you know, Vic did some, you know, some stuff with ECW and new Jack. So he's a little bit, you know, more popular, but you yeah. know, Donovan had his little stint with, you know, ring of honor and, you know, he's done some TNA stuff. So he's a, you know, a real solid worker as well. So he was, um, he was in my class as well. Um, um, after my first class, that's when Crash Holly came in, um, Mike Lockwood. Um, he came into APW, but he was already trained. Um, he had gone to um, Woody Farmer's school. And so he came in and Roland was like, you know, hey, you know, you, you probably have a lot of bad habits because you weren't trained, right? Because Roland always thought, you know, and to a degree, I think Roland was right, you know, now that I look back on it, right? Um, Roland always thought, like, if you didn't train at APW, you weren't really trained right. And to a degree, I kind of feel like that was somewhat true in a way, just because I've been to a lot of places and a lot of guys had fundamental problems. So, um, so and our guys were really, sound, you know, solid when it came to that kind of stuff, all the fundamentals. Um, you know, a lot of times we lacked and some of the guys didn't have bodies and, you know, things like that. But I mean, our guys could, you know, our guys could work, you know, and I, I, I talked to Mike about that. You know, we, we really had a solid, a solid crew, you know, um, and APW today, you know, they still run today. And those guys are solid, man. I mean, you know, it's like it's really, really a testament. And I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go off course just for a second because I do want to get this in. Um, sure. Uh, this guy, Mark, Marcus Mack, um, he's running APW right now, and he's super, super, super cool guy. I totally support everything he's doing. Um, when Roland was sick, um, I remember talking to Roland, and Roland told me one of his fears was that APW was gonna die when he died. So I gave Mar Marcus all the coolest in the world because, you know, he was kind of like, you know, he was right there with Roland and everything. He was like, it's kind of like, you know, it's right hand man kind of thing. And uh, Marcus took that and kind of took APW in a different direction, you know, kind of made it almost like bigger, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, he got in front of a different audience. Right. And he got in front of the Cow Palace. You know, we were never able to get into the Cow Palace. That was big. And I'm happy to be a part of that because for me. I came full circle. I literally called Marcus. At that point, I'd been retired and APW was going to do a show in the Cow Palace. And I literally begged Marcus. Um, and I have no shame in saying that. I literally begged Marcus. I said, brother, I've been retired for a long time and I don't want to take the spot from any guy who's coming up, you know, but please, as a favor, just put me on the show so I can wrestle in front of my mother, you know, to be a personal favorite because, you know, I, my earliest memories were wrestling, going to wrestling with her and my dad, right? So that would be great for me. So, you know, 
thank you, Marcus, for making that happen, right? So, um, so yeah, APW, APW is, um, is super solid. All our guys um, were just fundamentally sound, man. I mean, you know, our stuff is on um, YouTube and stuff. And, you know, if you check it out, I mean, we were really like ECW. You know, when I look back on it, that's kind of like what we were like. We, you know, we had a little bit of everything going on. You know, we had the workers, we had the high flyers, you know, we had the hardcore guys. Yeah, yeah, no, a APW was solid. And, you know, I, yeah. Awesome, bro. I kind of went off. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of went off course there, but you know, it's like, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine, bro. There was some real uh, interesting stuff there, and and I was going to ask you a little bit later on about the fact that you got to to work a couple. I think there's a couple of battle royals there uh, at the Cow Palace. Um, uh, for APW. So that's really cool that you got to come full circle uh, with your wrestling career there. Um, and thank you for correcting me on uh, uh, on the Mike Modest training you thing. This is the problem now, with the internet, now, bro. The internet is just... No, 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 no. I, don't, I do not want to take credit away from Mike, right? Of course. Now, Mike, did have a hand, Mike did have a hand in my training, okay? And, yeah. you know, a lot of times uh, people do think Mike and I were kind of like neck and neck in our careers and things like that. And I do want to get this out there and get it straight. You know, Mike was way ahead of me. Yeah. Right. Mike, Mike was a, um, Mike was a veteran, uh, when I came in, Yeah, you know what I mean? I, I don't I can't remember how many years or I, I don't know how many years I think Mike might've been four or five. Mike, I think Mike started doing this in high school. So, you yeah. know, when I was wrestling in high school, amateur, Mike was already a pro wrestler with Jerry Monty doing stuff like that. So, so Mike did have a hand in my training, you know, cause a lot of times he'd come in and, you know, uh, he'd take over class. Or, you know, for this class, Matt Heiss is not available. So Mike Modest is going to take over. So, yeah, I don't want to take credit away from Mike because Mike, you know, because Mike is Mike, Mike is a good trainer and he did have a hand in my training, you know. But, um, you know, as far as like who I really say was my main trainer, um, I say it was Matt Heiss. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. The debut match, uh, you go through training. Debut match. Again, correct me if I'm wrong because the internet can be incorrect but i believe january 15th 1997 against manny the raging bull fernandez at apw gym wars is that correct uh no um my very first pro match was against a guy named el chicano flame who was uh, one of my one of my best friends one of my dearest friends one of my best friends in the wrestling business um you know you can't say i don't know anybody who doesn't like el chicano flame and i think he's still working you know, so bless his heart. But um, uh, at the time, you know, I'm a new guy coming in and, you know, uh, Roland wanted me to kind of go over. So, you know, and he was getting pushed as El Chicano Flame. So I remember we did a little thing where he wrestled me without the mask, you know, which is an old school thing, right? He wrestled me without the mask so that when he gets beat, nobody knows who he is, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, so he was my first pro match. Um, and that was at Gym Wars. Um, I think I had another match against a guy named Jason Clay, who was just, you know, fantastic. Um, then I wrestled Manny and I believe that was at Terra Nova high school. Um, and, uh, I remember being in awe of that, of that experience because you know, I've been a wrestling fan my whole life and, you know, this is the raging bull Manny Fernandez. <laughs> and the way I remember him was, you know, Dusty Rhodes and Manny Fernandez, the NWA World Tag Team Champions, and they were battling the Russians, Ivan and Nikita Koloff. And, you know, I mean, he's a badass. And I remember when I was a kid, um, I was at Civic Auditorium with my mother watching uh, NWA wrestling, and it was Manny Fernandez, Rick Rude against the Road Warriors. 
um, for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. And Manny and Rude were the champions. And some fan uh, screams at Manny. Manny jumps off the apron, goes over to the barricade. The guy spits. I mean, you can you can see it. You know, we're all sitting, you know, rows back and you can see it. The guy spits a loogie right in Manny's face. Manny jumps the barricade, hits the guy in the face. Um, the guy goes down, security jumps into the whole thing, grabs Manny, grabs the guy. Also, Manny pushes security out of the way, gets over the jumps over the barricade, jumps, jumps up on the ring apron and then gets tagged in. And I just remember what a badass. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, OK, so I got to wrestle this guy. So, uh, but it was great, you know, Manny, Manny, Manny led me through the whole thing. And um, I remember at the end of the match, he told Roland, uh, you know, where'd you find this kid? He sucks. And Roland and Roland said, I'm standing right there, right? <laughs> and, uh, and Roland was like, really, Tony sucks? And he said, yeah, oh, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. And I took him up for a suplex and he went over too fast. And I mean, the kid sucks. And Roland was like, oh, what is this, Tony, your second or third match? And I said, it's my third match. And Manny looks at me and he goes, your third match? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, then you're good. He goes, for your third match? He goes, that's, that's not bad. So, <laughs> so that, was, that was my experience with Manny, my, uh, my third match, yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. <laughs> um, I want to ask a little bit about Roland. Uh, many out there will, be, will remember Roland from uh, being on uh, the Beyond the Mat documentary. Uh, and, and and fans of APWs obviously would be very, uh, he, you know, he's well known to them as well. But I want to know what it was like working for him. Um, that's kind of that's a very good that's a, the, the way you the way you kind of presented that. That was kind of that was kind of good. Um, what was it like working for him? Um, It was great working for him um, because we had great opportunity and Roland knew how to put these matches together. Roland knew how to put on a show. Um, it was exciting whenever we did an um, APW show, something we all looked forward to. We trusted Roland. It was a Paul Heyman kind of a thing where, you know, he led the guys. He, you know, we all didn't make any money, but we were out there busting our ass and risking our necks you know, for this dream and for passion. And Roland's like, you know, he's, he's right there. You know, he, you know, he's the conductor, right? And um, so we're, you know, we're, you know, so uh, working for Roland, I thought, I guess I could say it was great. Um, and, you know, the pay from Roland wasn't great, right? But, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, a lot of us were still new to the business and things like that. And at the, in the early stages, Roland wasn't making a lot of money, you know, but uh, as time went on, the show started getting bigger and, um, you know, we really started to draw you know and Roland was really charging a lot and not charging a lot I shouldn't say but Roland was making a lot right I mean he Roland was very fair in what he was charging so I think the guys um the fans were uh literally I mean I think they were getting a steal if you really want to know the truth for the kind of action they were getting for what they were paying uh they were lucky so um so uh but Roland was still making money, you know. So when he was making when he was making the money, um, I thought he could have spread it a little bit more evenly. And that's kind of like what I was saying at Beyond the Mat, right? Is that you know he would sit there and say, "Well, I'm not going to pay you this much because you know you didn't have a good match, or you know, oh, you've only had this amount of time in the ring, or whatever." Um, now that is how the wrestling business is, you know. And I've I've talked to other guys, and other guys, you know, they wrestled for free, and you know, I wrestled for free my first match, you know. And it's like, you know, you do things to, you know, to um, 
to you know start out and that's how it is everywhere you know you talk to rock musicians and they're going to tell you they play for they play gigs for free you know just so they can get their name out there just so they can get the exposure right um so you know i do understand how it works but you know when the movie came out you know uh barry barry asked the question and, and you know and you're you know and everybody always loved that you know that scene where roland and i are kind of going back and forth and barry you know barry, of course you know i took i took broadcasting and video editing and that, that's what i studied in school so you know i mean really they they you know they told a story where they put roland and i against each other and bam 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 right, right. so so um so you know and it, it was it was entertaining and it was great you know and i mean roland told me, Tony, you know what? That whole thing was the best thing that ever happened to me. My APW boot camp skyrocketed. He said, you know, I mean, beyond, it was great. And he said, and the fact that you and I kind of went back and forth, gave me more exposure, made me more unlikable. You know, he said, you know, so so we ended up laughing about it years later, you know, but um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was all great stuff. <laughs> Definitely, right. And I'm almost there to talk a little bit about it. Um, uh, but I do like the way that they kind of depicted him in the documentary. And I, I always thought to myself, nah, I reckon he's a pretty cool guy. Um, wrestling. Now, and Roland, now, Roland, now, Roland, now, Roland did, Roland, did, Roland did go out there and he did, you know, say a lot of things about a lot of people. So he did, you know, Roland did earn his, you know, Roland did earn his stripes. Okay. So, you know, and I went to other, I went to other companies and they were like, oh, he's this and he's that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Roland would stay late, stay up late at night and just, I mean, just, just sandbag i mean other promoters and you know oh your guys suck and you know i heard you guys did a show last night and you guys couldn't couldn't hold a candle apw and you know our guy our, you know my worst guy is better than your top guy and i mean i mean roland would just do that to everybody and, you know and looking back on it i mean he really was doing it to make his product better right hey we're the best you know you don't have to say you guys suck we're the best you can just say we're the best right you don't have to say you suck right but roland would say you suck and we're the best so he didn't make a lot of friends. So, you know, so the image of Roland in the movie, you know, is somewhat earnable, you know, because Roland, Roland, Roland did, Roland, Roland, Roland embraced being that guy. He didn't have a problem going out there being disliked. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool stuff. Um, okay, independent wrestling in the late 90s, having a job as well. How hard was it to, to juggle those two uh, and, and, you know, uh get by um i didn't i didn't really have much of a problem with it um i you know i had a i had a pretty flexible schedule out there when beyond the mat came out you know in the scene i talk about working at visa um yeah. and when at that at that time you know i was working at visa and i was working um i was working the graveyard ship shift which was perfect for me because at the time you know i'm training to be a pro wrestler so, you know, I, I, training was like seven to like 10. My shift started like at, I think, 11. So, you know, I train until like, you know, 10 o'clock. And then uh, and then I just jump in my car, dr drive right over the bridge, go straight, you know, first exit off the bridge was work. So I think it was like a 15 minute ride, you know, 11 o'clock okay. at night, no traffic. So, so I could pretty much from APW be at work in about 15, 20 minutes tops in my wrestling, you know, not my wrestling gear, but my sweats, right? And then I walk in, there's nobody there. It's 11 o'clock at night, it's graveyard, there's nobody working. So I just walk in in my sweats, I do my job, you know, for like an hour in my sweats. And then once I'm, you know, kind of complacent and I got most of my job kind of complete right now, now I can just go take a shower because they had a shower on site, right? Oh, cool. So now I can go take a shower, change my clothes, right? So for me, everything was like clockwork. I remember um, doing WWE one time 
And um, I had to do uh, two shots. One was in San Jose on Monday. I think it was before Monday Night Raw. And then the next was um, UC Davis. Yeah, over near UC Davis um, on Tuesday for, I think, their Sunday Night Heat. I'm not Sunday Night Heat, but one of their uh, shot, not shotgun, one of their shows that they were doing at the time, but it was on, it wasn't, I don't think it was SmackDown. SmackDown, I don't think Probably, it was really uh, around. Velocity? Maybe Velocity. Um, it was one of their one of their shows, but you know they were always doing Monday Tuesdays, right? So yeah. they did the Tuesday, and when they um, I did UC Davis, and I remember what I had to do was I had to do the Monday Night Raw show, and I remember just sitting there, you know, because you don't want to leave early, right? Because you know, especially you know, you're one of like the dark match guys, right? So you sit around and you wait until the very end, and when you see people leaving, that's when you leave. I don't want to be like you know just leaving too early. So I waited and waited and waited and waited. It was like ten, ten thirty. It's like ten forty-five. I got to be working at eleven, you know, I'm in San Jose, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to drive all the way, you know, over to San Mateo, which is about you know an hour, forty-five minutes. And I remember just waiting and waiting and waiting, and all of a sudden everybody was getting ready to leave. I saw Vince get ready to leave, and then I left. And um, those those times where I remember juggling being a pro wrestler and still running to work um and so for me um i always made it i always made it happen i always had good jobs you know so i never wanted i didn't want to lose my job i didn't want to quit my job um there was only one time in my career where it was, it was really necessary for me to quit my job because of pro wrestling um we can talk about that later but um yeah but yeah i it was it was no problem for me to manage both um i i don't know a lot of guys that were doing a lot of like jobs like you know like i was doing like my job was like a career type job you know yeah i don't know a lot of guys that, you know we had a couple of guys you know guys was you know firemen we had guys that were you know a police officer you know a guy who worked for united airlines you know things like that um but a lot of the other guys you know you know they were kind of like doing you know jobs here jobs there so you know being a pro wrestler mainly full-time so you know right um okay barry blaustein contacts you for beyond the mat how did that come about uh and what did you think it was going to be initially going into this uh documentary um i i knew that um a, uh, a director was going to come to apw because he was working on some documentary um it didn't seem like a big deal to me um uh modest and some of the guys had already done um a tv show um secrets of pro wrestling exposed yeah, yeah. or some, something like that right um you know where they kind of like show like you know um you know you think the guy is coming off the top rope with a fist to the forehead but wait until you see how he really lands you know yeah. that kind of you know it was that kind of thing right so um so they had done that so when Beyond the Mat had come around, it was just like another thing, right? So we didn't think it was going to be like a big movie or, you know, a big time director or anything like that, right? So, so Barry Blessing comes around, he talks to some of the guys. And um, um, I do remember him coming up to me um, later in the process. He just kind of talked to all the guys and, and he left and he came back, he talked to some of the guys and he left. And I never really heard anything. It's not like Roland came to me. Nobody said anything to me. Um, and Barry, one day when he was there checking out the guys to see, you know, how we wrestled and just, you know, I think he came and took some footage, just some rough cuts and things like that. And he took me aside and he said, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to put you in the movie. I want to focus you in the movie. And, and I said, um, and I said, oh, I said, you know, that'd be great. And I said, you know, I've only been in the business a short amount of time. And he said, yeah, that's what Roland told me. 
and he said, and he said that, you know, you wrestled in college and, you know, you have a college education and you have a job and, you know, I just, you know, I just kind of want to see your, from your perspective, why are you in this business? He said, you know, you wrestled amateur, you have a college education you can do other things. Why, why are you here? And um, I kind of want to tell that side of the story. So I need to talk to some of the other guys and we're going to be telling other stories, but I, that's kind of like what I'm looking at with you. He said, you know, you, when I talk to you, he said, you just sound a little different than some of the other guys. So I just kind of want to exploit that a little. And, you know, and I said, oh, okay. You know, but as far as I, as far as I knew at the time, it sounded to me like, you know, he was going to grab like a bunch of guys, right? Like, you know, so I thought it was going to be a bunch of us, right? And um, then it later turned out to be really focused on, um, the next step was that it was focused to be on myself, Mike Modest, and another guy that we had named uh, Gigolo Steve Rosano. He had done a lot of stuff with um, XPW. Um, Steve is Steve, you know, really, really good worker. Uh, did a gimmick called the Gigolo. And I remember when I came into APW, um, he used to come up with Rico Suave, and he used to do this just annoying dance to that. I mean, you got to hate anybody who comes out to that song, right? <laughs> and and he would do this annoying dance, and he had this little tiny vest on. And I mean, when I saw him. I came to an APW show and was like, come to one of our shows and see what we do. And I said, okay. So I remember Steve, that song hits, I see the smoke, Steve comes out, he does his dance. And when he gets in the ring and he takes his sunglasses off and the baby face starts stepping towards him and he's like, no, 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 get him back, get him back, get him back. And when he starts doing that, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's like a real pro wrestler. It's like, <laughs> this is what I've been watching, you know? So I remember Steve, you know, um, really, really, you know, putting on a good show and, and Modest came out, you know, and, you know, I remember thinking like, wow, he's like a Ray Stevens type. So I remember um, Rosano, Steve Rosano and Mike Modest um, impressing me most when I, when I came to, uh, when I came to APW. So it was, it was, it was, uh, it was very cool to me that it was those two guys and myself that um, were going to be uh, featured in Beyond the Mat. And then um, Steve had a little bit of a falling. I know, I know, I know to this day, I know he's kicking himself for this, but he had a little bit of a falling out with Roland um, uh. Uh, um, sometime after that. I don't know if, because I, I, Steve and I are good friends and um, he used to work at a, you know, his side job was that he was working at 24 hour fitness near my house. And um, I used to go there to work out and I'd go there, work out, we talk, you know. And I remember, you know, he knew that it was coming you know, that Beyond the Mat was coming, but nobody knew how big it was going to be. And he didn't know if he was really going to be in it, you know, but, um, but uh, yeah, he had a falling out with Roland. I think he left and uh, Beyond the Mat kind of came and went, you know, and, uh, and I don't know if Barry really had Steve in mind by the time the movie was really in production. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I did hear at the, in the very beginning, early stages that it was supposed to be Rosanna, Modest and me. But then somehow, you know, with Rosano having the falling out and all this kind of stuff, I think it just became modest in myself. Wow, that's my that's my that's my that's that's my perspective. You know, yeah. if you talk to modest, modest, modest might have a little bit of a different perspective, right? As a matter of fact, I know he'll have a different perspective because you know, modest was closer to Roland, so yeah. um, much closer, right? So I'm sure modest heard pretty much what Roland heard, you know, whereas I I just kind of heard, you know. I just heard directly from Barry and that was it. Modest heard from Barry, Modest heard from Roland, you know, so Modest was plugged in. So, you know, he may hear, you know, I mean, he may have a different perspective, but that's my perspective from what I was told by Barry. Right. Interesting stuff. Uh, I'm learning things here. This is really cool. Um, okay. Uh, I talked to Mike about this 
Uh, I got his side of the story. Looking forward to seeing your perspective. September fifteenth. Yeah, once, once I give you once I, once I give you once I once I give you my perspective, I want you to tell me mine is okay. Okay, September fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight, Arco Arena, Sacramento. Uh, dark match for Heat. You and Mike Modest, as seen in Beyond the Mat. Um, I would like to know your memories of that day and that match. Um. You know, other, other, I mean, and I, and I, and I truly mean this other than when my, you know, other than when my children, were, my son and my daughter were born, um, that was probably the greatest day of my life. Um, um, I remember going to the Arco Arena. I brought, you know, I brought my mother with me because Barry, Barry was like, I want you to bring your mom. She's in the movie, you know, and I like the whole uh, concept, you know, you walking with your mother, you're so much bigger than her. And this little <laughs> lady with this, you know, giant son. You know, I just, you know, I just, I like that whole dynamic. So, you know, bring her. So I said, okay, no problem. You know, and great for me because I, you know, I love my mother and, you know, and she was always supportive and I, you know, I w I'd love her to be there. Right. So that, that worked out anyway. So, um, so I remember us going to the Arco Arena, getting to the, um, getting to the venue, um, hanging out most of the day. I remember Mike and I having this little conversation and Mike looking at me and he said, Tony, don't choke on me out there. <laughs> and I said, uh, and I said, I said, brother, I, I, I won't choke. And he goes, yeah, I've had, you know, he goes, I've had a match with, you know, I'm not going to say the guy. He goes, I had a match with, you know, and he kind of choked out there. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want, you know, it just didn't look good. I don't want you choking out there. And I said, I go, brother, I'm, I'm not going to choke. I said, you know, we've been doing this for a little while. And, uh, you know, I've wrestled in front of large crowds when I wrestled at San Francisco State. And that's real wrestling. And I said, I've had guys out there really trying to take my head off in front of crowds. So I said, I'll, I'll be okay. And he said, okay. And I remember he telling me, him telling me, um, and this is a kind of like a behind the scenes moment, right? I remember in the movie, Mike drops me with this uh, move. Um, and I don't even know, they call it something. And I, Mike, Mike started calling it, Mike had a name for it, reality check or something. I can't remember what he called it, but it was, you know, the move that he ends up beating me with and beyond the mat, Mike says, um, hey, Tony, I want to hit you with this move. Um, and I want to say, um, he said he got it from Vinny Massaro and, you know, Vinny's doing a lot today, you know, Vinny, um, yeah, Vinny's been around, Vinny's done his thing. So very proud of Vinny. Um, Vinny kind of came in after I did. Um, and Vinny was like this innovator of wrestling moves. He played a lot of video games. He watched right. a lot of, uh, Japanese videotapes and things like that. So he always would see these moves and then he'd add some spins to them and, you know, make them more advanced. Right. So, um, so he got that move from Vinny and he said, Tony, I'm going to hit you with this move. Now, if it, if we land, like I want us to land, then we're going to finish with that because people are going to go crazy. If people don't pop, then I'll hit you with the death Valley driver. I'll pick you up, hit you with the death Valley driver. And then we'll go home with that. And I said, okay, no problem. So I remember him picking me up for the reality check and bless Mike's heart. Um, if you guys ever go back and look at the video, um, and I thank Mike even to this day, and I'm going to say it right here on this videotape, when Mike is about to drop me on my head, um, because I'm so tall and Mike is shorter than me, I'm kind of draped over him and my head is kind of head, head, like almost straight to the mat. And you can see my head kind of like not really tucked. And you see Mike actually tuck my head. So he grabs my head, tucks my head grabs it tight and then he goes and he drops me and it just looks fantastic. I mean, it looks like he kills me, but at the same time, he protected me, you know, so that I'm able to walk away. Right. Yeah. So he drops me right on, right on, right on my shoulder blades. As soon as he hooks my leg, the place goes crazy. I'd never heard a reaction like that. And Mike goes, we're going home. You know, as he hooks my leg, right. We're going home. 
And I'm like, oh yeah, one, two, three. And that was like the greatest moment um, in my life, you know, other than my kids, right? Um, because I just remember, I just remember to do it. I can't remember, I can't, I can't, I can't believe I just wrestled in the WWE. Now forget about being in the locker room, talking to Stone Cold Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, Dan Severn, you know, um, forget about all that, which was great in itself. You know, just being in the ring in front of that crowd. And I just remember the ring being so damn stiff. I'm like, damn, our ring is pretty stiff, but this ring is stiff. So I had a whole new respect for all the WWE guys. Cause I was like, oh, these guys are just sissies. You know, they're just making all the big money. You know, we're working hard because we're the indie guys. and You know, we're the ones bumping on hard rings. They got the soft ones. And it's like, no, it was <laughs> nothing like that. The ring is hard. The ring is stiff. Um, it's bigger, it's bigger than our ring. Um, I just remember saying, oh, these guys, you know, hey, much props to these guys, you know? So, yeah. Wow. Well, um, Mike's side of the story was uh, <laughs> they they were uh, Bruce Pritchard wanted to cut cut them cut you guys for time, uh, but Mike was adamant. No, we're getting this amount of time. Uh, Bruce is yelling on the headset to the referee for the for you guys to go home very soon into the match. Mike tells the referee no. Uh, that you're going to wrestle for the allotted time that uh, had been agreed upon. Uh, and that that was kind of his side of the story. He, he kind of felt like um, they were trying to um, screw with you both to try and um, put this, I guess, uh, make the story in the documentary of like these two guys had that opportunity and... Um, Blew it. yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, well, well okay. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I, I've seen I've seen interviews with Mike, right? I've seen an interview with Mike where you know where he said that, and I you know, and I'm not saying that didn't happen. I didn't even, I didn't have a conversation with Bruce Richard. I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember talking. To, I, I mean, maybe I was just you know deer in the headlights, and I just don't remember a lot of things. I remember the whole thing, the whole thing with Jim Cornette spoke with us um mm. i do remember in beyond the mat where you know bruce pritchard is sitting at gorilla you know you know Amadas jones you know because it was time for us to go out and i remember all that stuff but i didn't have that conversation you know mike was the veteran you know so mike was the one leading the match i have no shame in saying that straight up you know mike was the one leading the match and i was just mike take me through this dude let's let's just get through this you know and let's look like stars you know um so uh, I do remember during the match, hearing the referee saying a few times, okay, you guys got like two minutes, you know, okay, you guys got like a minute and a half, uh, you guys got like, you know, 30, 30 seconds. And, you know, you know, we got our stuff in. I don't, I don't know if Mike, you know, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, cause it might, it might kind of give off the impression that Mike was like, screw what you guys want. We're going to do what we want. And that kind of comes off a little rebellious and it's like, you know, who would want him back if you had that kind of attitude, right? So, cause you know, these guys are the ones paying for time and you know, we're, we're the lead in for raw, right? So if we go too long, that means they can't go on raw and they're gonna be pissed, right? So mm. I don't think that's, I don't think that's quite what really happened in, in, in such a sense, but I mean, you know, Mike and I, we got our stuff in, you know? Um, so when they were running time on us, you know, we were getting everything in. So I don't remember us rushing through anything. I don't remember us cutting anything out. So when Mike says, 
Um, you know, we stretched the time. I don't know. Maybe we did. You know, I just, but I don't remember anybody being mad at us. I don't remember. I remember, um, I remember me hitting Mike with the belly to belly off the top. And when I hit him with the, you guys would have to go back and look at the match. And um, I, I have a very good copy of the match that I got from Barry Blaustein that um, right. I don't see anywhere. Um, and Mike is always telling me, dude, you need to put that on YouTube and stuff. And I'm, I don't know why I'm just so selfish with it. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'll put it up on YouTube. Um, but I have a pretty good copy of uh, our match um, from Beyond the Mat, right? Oh. And in the match, I hit Modest with a belly to belly off the top rope. And as soon as we land, the referee comes down and he's like, you guys got 10 seconds, okay? <laughs> and if you watch, as soon as he says that, you see there's like no sell from Mike who just got hit with a belly to belly <laughs> suplex, a belly to belly suplex off the top rope, right? As soon as, soon as we land, you see, as soon as we land, the referee comes in and does that. <laughs> and when he does that, Mike just gets up and you see me turn around. I get up, I go for the power bomb and Mike blocks it, lifts me up, tucks me, bam, drops me. Yeah. And we, one, two, three. And I think we ended it in 10 seconds. So, right. you know, you know, I, I you know, I, I do want to save Mike in the sense of, you know, Mike was not this rebellious type of guy who was going to go and do what he wanted to do and go against the programs because, you know, you know, Mike, Mike, Mike did, you know, Mike did, you know, his stuff in, in wrestling. And I never heard of Mike having like a bad reputation or being some kind of like guy who, you know, did his own thing. So I do want to make sure that, you know, I don't think Mike meant it, you know, because it kind of sounds like he didn't care what they thought and he was, you know, so. If I'm wrong, Mike, you go out, you go out there and you correct me, brother. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think we did anything wrong. I think we hit time just like we, just like we were supposed to. And when we were back, went back in the locker room. I remember D'Lo Brown and uh, Road Dog and, um, you know, a lot of the guys coming up to us. Oh, that was fantastic, guys. D'Lo Brown was like, I'm going to steal that move. I'd never seen nothing like that before in my life. <laughs> You know, and um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it, it was great. I thought we did fantastic. And like I said, we got all our stuff in. I don't remember us cutting out anything, so. Right, yes. Uh, so uh, I, I remember when the uh, documentary was released and, and me and my friends got to see it. Uh, as I said earlier in the introduction, we, we I distinctly remember us watching that portion of the documentary about you and Mike and, always wondering like what happened to these guys we don't have any way of you know none of i don't think any of us had the internet at the time uh, we had no way of figuring out what what went on but um after the release of the documentary how did that exposure affect your career um well first of all when the movie um was about to come out um they had like a world premiere down in los angeles i remember barry blossom invited me down there and i was really surprised that mike wasn't there roland wasn't there and i don't know what was going on how did i go and they didn't go and why didn't we go together and I, you know i don't know what the story I, I you know my girlfriend at the time and i i remember going down there and you know we went to the premiere and yeah i had no apw representatives except for myself and i i, I do remember at the time how come you know how come you know the guys aren't here right but anyway um, I go to the world premiere. I remember getting there late because I, that was the thing about Tony Jones. I was always running late. And, um, and I got to the premiere late. So when I got there, there was security there and, you know, they had the whole thing gated off and they had a red carpet and um, I was trying to get in. And when I was trying to get in, the security wouldn't let me in and Barry Blostein sees me and he was like, Hey, security, he's in the movie, let him in. And, uh, and uh, security was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he opens the door. And when he opens the door, I'm, I'm about to walk through the door. And Barry's like, no, Tony, 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 do the whole thing. Walk the red carpet. 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> so I was like, okay. So we went around and we, we took, we, you know, we made a special effort and we went around and walked the carpet, you know, there's nobody <laughs> around and everything, but just, 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 just to do it, you know? So we walked the red carpet and walked into the movie theater and I sat down and I remember sitting down next to uh, Jake the Snake Roberts' daughter in the movie, right? Um, um, sitting next to her, she was really sweet, really nice. Um, Terry Funk was in the first row. Um, um, and a lot of people who were, you know, producing the movie and all that kind of stuff. And I remember um, uh, Barry announcing some of us in the audience. No, there, there was no new Jack and there was no Jake Roberts. And, you know, a lot of guys weren't there. You know, like I said, no other APW guys. But uh, I remember um, Barry saying, you know, I want to recognize a few people in the audience. You know, we, Jake Sink Roberts' daughter, yay. You know, we got Tony Jones, you know, one of the indie guys. And I remember, you know, yay. And I remember Terry Funk giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> that was so cool. That was so cool because um, probably a year before that, when I very first was getting into pro wrestling, APW had a couple of guys get tryouts. I think Steve Rosano was one of them against uh, JBL. And, um, and, uh, and I remember that was my first time backstage seeing Shawn Michaels all these guys. And I was like, Oh, wow, I can't believe I'm actually backstage. I mean, just like last year, you know, I'm buying the pay-per-views and, you know, watching them on television. And now I'm backstage, one of them. Right. Yeah. And I just, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. And I remember being backstage and uh, walking around with the guys and seeing Terry Funk and it was, you know, Terry Funk's like, Hey, how's it going? And, and I <laughs> never would have thought like a year, a year later, he and I would be doing a movie, you know, being in the same movie together, you know? So, so that was pretty, that was pretty cool. So, um, and how did Beyond the Mat really affect me? Um, a lot of times people ask, like, you know, did you get a lot of money for Beyond the Mat and all that kind of stuff? And I have, you know, no problem in saying, you know, I, I did not. If other guys got paid, you know, bless, God bless them. But, you know, I didn't get paid anything for Beyond the Mat. And it was probably the best thing that I ever did for free um, in my life. And I tell people, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can do things and it's not always for money. You know, um, I got more exposure out of Beyond the Mat than anything else. I became the Beyond the Mat guy. You know, Mike and I kind of got locked in together with that. So it was like, you know, whenever Mike would go someplace, hey, you still talk to Tony? And you right. know, whenever I do, you know, you know, you ever talk to, you know, you still talk to Mike? And we, I told Mike, I said, brother, we're locked in forever now. You know, <laughs> and, he, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, because now we're the beyond the mat guys, you know. So, um, and I'm, and I told him, I said, dude, I, I embrace that. I'm, I'm happy to be that. And Mike said, me too. You know, so. Um, so yeah, so you know, it 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 was it was um it was the greatest thing for my career. I remember going to WWE after that Mike and my tryout. I remember going back for other matches, seeing Vince McMahon and um, backstage, and Vince looks at me and he was like, "Hey, good seeing you again." And I'm like, "Dude, that would have never." I don't see him walking up to enhancement guys ever. <laughs> I mean, you know, he looked at me and he was like, "Good seeing you again." I remember Bruce Pritchard seeing me. And saying, "Hey, Tony, how you doing?" And that's all because of Beyond the Mat and nothing else, you know. And um, and uh, and you know, and I remember walking up to Paul, you know, Paul Heyman, you know, and I like, you know, a little bit later in my career, and I said, "Paul," I said, "I'm trying to introduce myself." I said, "I've never really met you before." He goes, "I know who you are, Tony." You know, and, <laughs> you know, and I was like, "Oh, you know, yeah." I was like, "That's really," and like I said, that's all Beyond the Mat, you know. So, um, so yeah, it was probably the greatest best thing I'd ever done for free you know and like I said you know you know sometimes you don't get paid for something I'm like you know still do it you know if it means exposure if it means opportunity you know take advantage of it the money will come later so excellent that's really cool thank you for all of that um just some great information there um 
moving forward, uh, I noticed in my research, it said that you did some training at uh, the WWF Dojo, training under Dr. Tom Pritchard in around November 1999. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Um, yeah. Um, I had sent some material, um, even though I'd, you know, done um, the beyond the mat thing, you know, you still have to kind of push yourself and promote yourself and just, Hey, don't forget about me. I'm still working, you know, stuff like that. Um, I've gotten bigger, you know, cause in the movie, you know, Jim Ross was like, you know, Hey, just fill fill out a little bit. And, you know, everybody always yeah. comments about that, you know, cause I'm, I'm the, I'm the guy in the movie that, you know, Hey, Tony, you know, did you, do you take it to mean, you know, get on steroids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, um, when the movie, when the movie was coming about, um, um, you know, I wanted to get myself in really, really good shape. So what I started to do is I started to train really hard. I started to diet because I didn't want to go in there because movie, you know, you know, camera, you know, I, I, I took film and I, you know, I, I, I work with cameras. Camera makes you look bigger than you really are. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want to look fat out there. Right. I want to look like I belong. I want to look fit. I want to look like an athlete. So I worked out, I got myself in really, really good, like amateur wrestling shape and turned out I got myself too small. So, right. you know, I, so I ended up going in there. I remember getting on the scale. I think I was like maybe 220, 225. And I remember getting on the scale in WWE. Um, they had a scale off, off in, on the side near the locker rooms. And I remember I, I was in my gear and everything. And I was like, I wonder what I weigh. And I just got on the scale and I was like, this is my boots and everything. And I think I had like two, I was like 225. And I remember feeling good. I'm like, yeah, I'm at real good, like competition weight, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm good. And yeah, I think, I think when I look at myself and on video and everything, I did look a little too skinny, you know? So that's when Jim Ross was like, you know, kind of fill out a little bit. And I was like, right. I think I did. I think I did it backwards. I think instead of put, trying to put size on, I was taking size off. So, so yeah, that's my perspective of that. Right. So when he, but when he did say that I did take his advice and I did get bigger, I got much bigger. Um, I think I got to about 275 pounds. Um, I remember wow. seeing, I remember seeing Axel, Axel Rotten um at an xpw show and he looks at me and he was like hey you were the guy in that movie huh and i said yeah and he goes uh, you were the one that jim ross said get bigger and i said yeah yeah boy you took his advice didn't you <laughs> I, said, I said yeah yeah i did so uh and then i came back when i came back later and i saw jim ross i said excuse me sir i go uh i said i met you a few years ago i go we're you and i are beyond the mat together and he goes oh yeah i told you to get bigger huh and i said yeah he goes yeah good job. You're looking good. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. He goes, now you're in the hunt. So he remembered what he, what he you know, cause in the movie, he was like, get a little bigger and then you'll be in the hunt. I think yeah. that's what he said to me or something. And when, and when he saw me later, he was like, yeah, now you're in the hunt. I'm like, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So yeah. So it was kind of, it's funny when you look back on it. <laughs> cool. Uh, so did that lead to this uh, opportunity to do this training uh, uh, with the dojo and Dr. Tom? Yeah. I kind of went off. You, you asked me that question. I didn't even answer you at all. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's so, okay. That um, was great. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, I was in contact with uh, Terry Taylor. Um, you know, I was sending promotion. That's what I was talking about. I kind of got off track. I was sending promotional videos in. Yeah. And um, I got a phone call from Terry Taylor telling me, you know, he was like, hey, this is Terry Taylor from World Wrestling Federation. I was like, oh, my, I can't believe this. I used to watch Terry Taylor in, you know, Mid-South and, you know, the NWA and you know, and Red Rooster and, you know, that whole thing, right? So I'm like, you know, I can't believe Vince has like wrestlers, you know, calling 
you know, <laughs> the independent, you know, I always thought it'd be like some, you know, business guy or something, but you know, these are actual wrestlers, you know, calling, you know, so anyway, Terry Taylor was like, yeah, I saw your, I saw your video. I like what I saw you. I'd like to bring you to our camp and take a look at you. He goes, um, now if I stand corrected, you came from uh, APW. And I said, yeah. And he goes, so I'm going to send you to the training camp. Uh, you're familiar with the camp, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I think I know about it. He goes, your buddies went there, Crash and Vic. So he knew, you know, he knew like the connection. Terry knew, Terry knew everything. You know, your buddies went there, Crash and Vic. And I said, right, right, yeah. And he goes, so I want to bring you in for that and take a look at you. And I said, okay. So they flew me into Connecticut. I remember feeling like such a big star. Um, you know, they flew me in, I came down the escalator and there was a guy holding up a sign that said, Tony Jones, you know, they have a car waiting for you. You know, it was, it was like, so, so cool. I'm like, wow, I'm like a real wrestler doing this. Right. So, um, I check into the hotel and there's this guy named Sean Evans, um, who I don't really know what Sean did. I think he, I think he did some, I think he did a lot of indie stuff. I thought I saw him on ring of honor, but his name was Sean Evans. He'd, he'd done some stuff in the indies. And um, he was at the hotel with me. He said he got flown in as well. And so we come to the training facility and this is the part that, you know, everybody gets a kick out of. So we're at the training facility and uh, uh, Alpha Junior's son is there as well. And Dave Batista is there, right? <laughs> and, um, and Dave is so cool, right? And I'm, you know, I'm talking to Dave because I'm, you know, I'm from San Francisco. And he was like, oh, I used to, I used to bounce out there and you know at this club. And I was like, oh, I used to go to that club. And he was like, oh, okay. So, you know, we we got along and everything was cool. And they wanted um they wanted uh they wanted Sean and I to put a match together, heel against baby. So we put together this little match and we just kind of worked it in like like a 12-minute match. And uh Dr. Tom Pritchard was like, that was good, that was good. And I remember walking over into another room and Dave Batista comes over and he was like, that was, that was good. And I was like, Oh, thanks brother. And, you know, and, and you know, you never know at that, you know, at these times, you know, what these guys are going to turn into, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, at the time he's, he looks at me and he was like, that was good brother. And I'm like, Oh, really? Thanks. And you know, we just kind of whipped it up real quick. He was like, yeah, no, but that, that was good. And I was like, thanks. And he was like, yeah, it's like, if I, if they're expecting me to do stuff like that, dude, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I go, I go, brother, I go, you're going to, you're, 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 you'll do fine, you know, and uh, dude, he just, they, they put the, they put this, you know, like the rocket on him, because that's when it was like a, a year later, I saw him pop up in OVWS Leviathan. Yeah. And um, it was, yeah, it was about a year later. Um, now, a lot of people don't know this, and I'm happy to say this, um, because, uh, you know, I got to, I'll tell you about a backstage story, but, um, you know, I was John Cena's second pro match um uh they they sent me down to uh upw um because wwe did because they wanted to take a look at me and uh upw was a developmental territory so um so when they brought me down there rick bassman told me that he wanted to put me in there with a guy named prototype who'd only had a couple of matches but wwe was real high on him so you know i just want to kind of say the story about john um from the moment john stepped in the ring i mean probably before he even stepped in the ring WWE had their eye on him, you know, so because because when I wrestled him and it was his second pro match, Rick Bassman told me WWE likes him a lot. So, you know, so, yeah, John, they had their eye on John from the very beginning. Wow. You know? So, um, yeah. So. Um, so. But yeah. But, um, yeah. At the training facility, you know, I trained with Batista, Sean Evans, Alpha Jr. Um, that was under Dr. Tom Pritchard. Um, it was a great it was a great training experience um you know at that point i've been probably working about three years and you know he just kind of showed us like you know what he what wwe would expect out of us i think that's kind of like 
um, what it was. It was like, let me see you guys work. And we worked and he was like, they want to see it like this. And, you know, you got to do it like this. And this is how we do that. It was more like showing us the WWE way, you know, yeah. it was like, so it was, it was kind of like that. He wasn't really training us or showing us how to do moves per se. It was just, he, he would fine tune what we were doing and showing us how to do it their way. So it, it, it was, it was great. I remember getting in there, locking up with Batista and, um, you know, I'm six foot four, um, you know, at the time, 275 pounds. And I remember locking up with Batista and I just felt so small, you know, I mean, he was just Batista at, at the time, you know, was he's much bigger than he was when he became, when he went to WWE and all that. Cause I think they asked him to get smaller because yeah. he was too big, you know, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, he was a monster. So, you know, <laughs> you see, you see star all over Dave Batista, you know, from that moment. So, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. That's some, uh, Again, some more great stories. Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, why is it that after you do this camp, it was did anyone ever explain to you why there was never an opportunity to maybe uh, get signed to the company or be brought up to maybe possibly go on TV and 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 be on the shows? Did you get any feedback about that? Um, no, not really. Um, I was always, you know, it was always like, you know, you did great, you know, everything, you know, I never really, I never really had any negative feedback or anything. I did have one thing happen, um, um, which was kind of like a milestone in my career, which almost, I think was probably responsible in a way for making me kind of slow down. And um, I can't remember how old I was, but I remember doing a WWE show and Bruce Pritchard, and I, and I, if I can ever talk to Bruce or send him a message, which I might do one day, and ask him why he did this, because um, I'm grateful for him for doing it, because I don't know why he did it. Um, he said, hey, Tony, can I talk to you for a little bit? And I said, yeah, no problem. And he takes me up into the stands, and he talks to me about this wrestling business. And he said, you know, he, um, he was like, you know, Tony, I've been watching wrestling since I was a kid, and, you know, I've been involved since I was like, you know, teenager and this and this and it's changed so much and uh you know at the time you know at the time you know of course Benoit became you know this evil figure but at the time you know he was like one of the best wrestlers in the world right and um he was like you know Tony Chris Benoit comes flying off the top rope with that flying headbutt I mean, that damn thing hurts I mean when he when he lands I mean it's 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 stiff there's there's no work there you know I think the guy's gonna have like neck problems later but I mean it's it's stiff and, you know, people are just like, oh, okay, yeah. But, you know, let this guy raise his eyebrow, you know, and run the ropes and hit a real sloppy elbow. And they just go crazy, you know? And it's just, you know, the business has changed, you know? It's, it's being a good wrestler isn't it anymore, you know? And it's just like, you know, you're really solid. You're really sound, you know? And it's like back in the 80s and the 90s, man, a guy like you could go anywhere. But now, you know, how old are you? And I can't remember what I told him. I think I was like maybe 32, 31. And I said, I'm like 32, something, whatever it was. And he was like, yeah, you're right there. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, Vince doesn't like anybody that he can't get at least 10, 15 years out of. I mean, he puts a lot into you. You're an investment. And if he can't get the return out of you for a good 10 or 15 years, then you know he doesn't want to take the chance. He doesn't want to invest the money. You're right there. And I said, okay. And he goes, and you seem like a smart guy. What do you, what do you do? And I told him, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a computer guy. I work IT and everything. And he goes, and you make good money? And I said, yeah. And he goes, and you're at home with your family on the weekends. He goes, Tony, do that. 
And he goes, if I was you, I would do that. Stay out of this dead end business. He goes, the business is changing. The jobs aren't secure. It, when you, when you leave, when you leave pro wrestling, you don't really have much. And he goes, if you got something else to do, I go do it, man. And I said, wow. I said, okay, thank you. Now I continued to wrestle and I continued to get matches after that with WWE. But I remember kind of feeling like, okay, you know, I'm going to start slowing this down. And I do remember him when he told me that I was grateful and I didn't know why he did that, you know? And it was just like, you just, you know, dude, I don't want you to waste your time, dude. You know, it's like, if you got something else you can do and you can spend time with your family. Cause you know, I ended up losing my father, you know, a couple of years later and I was grateful that I was home, you know, and you know, I had some other family tragedies. I ended up losing my daughter who was who meant the world to me. Um, you know, and I'm glad that I was home for, you know, for these, through the, for these moments, you know, because um, I was able to be with them. I was able to hold their hand. So, you know, if I was on the road, if I was wrestling, um, I wouldn't be able to live with that, you know, that I was on the road in some hotel while, you know, a loved one passed away or whatever, you know, cause you can't, you can't bring that back. Right. So, um, so the way things happen for me, I'm very grateful because I started to slow down wrestling at a time right before my family probably needed me most. You see what I'm saying? So, um, so, so a lot of guys, and I've said this in other interviews and stuff, you know, a lot of guys are kind of, you know, even, even some of these veterans, you know, they're, they talk kind of bitter, you know, a lot of time when they do these interviews, they're drunk or, or, you know, or, you know, whatever they got going on, but, you know, they're just like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, Sunny, you know, like what, you know, what's going on with her right now, you know, it's like some, sometimes this, this fall from grace thing. You know, it's just, it's, it's so sad. And I, you know, I, I don't feel like that at all. I look back on it and I embrace it and I'm happy for that time. And I don't, you know, I, I did a match about five months ago because a friend of mine did a wrestling show and I got myself in really good shape and I'm in really good shape now. I feel, I feel great. You know, my weight's down. I'm like 245 pounds. I'm, I'm in really good shape, but I'm not getting in the ring. You know, it's like, you know, the time, the time has passed. Um, about, about five, about uh, five months ago, I did get in the ring. I remember st- standing in the ring. Um, yeah, Kenny, Kenny King was, um, was my tag team partner, Kenny King from uh, ring of honor, super nice guy. I'd met him before. Um, so we're in the ring with these other two guys who are just super nice guys. And I remember just being in the ring and Kenny King is just, you know, doing his spot with the other guy. And I just looked around and I was like, what am I doing here? What am I doing in the ring? And I was like, you know, it's like, this is their time. I kind of feel like an old guy here, even though I'm in good shape, it's, it's just not my time anymore, you know? So, you know, and I, you know, so for me, um, I embrace it. I'm happy with it all. I'm happy on the way I left. I'm happy for the way things happen. Um, you know, I have no bitter feelings. I don't feel like, oh man, you know, if, if, if this would have happened or, you know, or I blew this, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel like that at all. I don't feel like that at all. I feel, you know, everything, everything that happened, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it was, it was, it was a blessing, you know, even, even the fights that I had, like with Roland, I mean, uh, Roland fired me probably three, three or four different times, you know, for doing other shows, um, you know, for not following his, for not, you know, for why, why'd you work this guy's show? I told you not to work his show. You know, I'm going to have to fire you. I'm like, Oh God, what am I going to do? You know, and he's like, you know, so he'd fire me and I'm like, I don't care, Roland, go ahead and fire me. I'll go work for this guy. So then he'd bring me back a couple of months later, you know, and at the time, I mean, it was very, I'd be, I was so pissed off and I was so angry. I hated Roland. And you look back on it now and it was, it was fun, you know? And, you know, so I don't have, I don't have any ill feelings. And, you know, like I said, I look back on it with great fondness and that's a little different for a lot of people because, 
you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't sell when a guy says everything is cool. Right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> when, when you say, you know, this sucks and this sucks and this guy's an asshole and, and this and this, that's what's, uh, that's what's, that's what's popular. But, you know, all the boys that I, that I interacted with, I can't sit there and say any of these guys were assholes or, you know, these guys, all these guys were respective. If anybody, you know, got a little too familiar or, you know, got a little too stupid, you know, you can pull them back a little bit. Hey, you know, it was all brotherhood, you yeah. know, so yeah so that's my perspective on it no it's great because you know i, I think at this point i'm about a hundred i've done about 125 interviews with different wrestlers and there have been times where i've had to really try and 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 get a, a, a guest on the show to just stop fixating on this one thing and blaming this for their career not being good and and for them self thinking that they were a failure and wrestling no like i really always try to build everyone up and try to get them away from the negativity and and look at the positives so it's always nice when i can interview somebody that does look at the positives and doesn't look back um with any you know ill feelings toward it um so i want you to know to and, ask, my, and, and my thing and, and my thing one thing um my thing is uh you know i didn't i didn't spend that much time in the business you know i think my career i mean i i mean i did and i didn't you know like when i like how much wrestling did i really do where i was wrestling like every week right um that was probably from 97 till about maybe 2002 2001 you know, um, and in that time, I mean, I, you know, I worked a lot of matches and I worked in front of a lot of important people, you know, so, um, so managed to get seen and, you know, managed to get known off of that. But, you know, I didn't spend a great deal of time, you know, in the business, even though, yeah. you know, like around 2002, something like that, I started to taper off a little bit, started to concentrate more on my job and stuff like that. And I do shows here and there, but, um, you know, where I was really hitting it every week and it was like my life. Um, that was probably about a four, five year period, you right. know? So, um, so I didn't give it my life, you know what I mean? Where a lot of these guys did, you know, so we got to keep that in perspective. So, you know, a lot of these guys are bitter because I mean, you know, I'd, I'd probably be bitter too, dude. If I put everything into this one thing and yeah. this one thing caused me to get a divorce, this one thing caused my kids not to like me, this one thing caused me not to be there for my parents when they died. Right. So, you know, if that happened, you know, maybe you would be bitter. So, yeah. um, so, you know, I, I didn't let wrestling control me like that. It wasn't my life like that. So, so I'm not going to sit here and try to make it seem like I'm on the same level with a lot of these former WWE guys that have been on the road all through the eighties, you know, away from their families. I mean, these guys were real hardcore, real pro wrestlers, you know, what, what, what we later became, you know, we were a softer version of what these guys did in the earlier time they paved the way for us so much props to them and respect to them i don't want to disrespect when they say you know stuff is bit you know they're bitter you know maybe maybe you you know you know you see these guys today making all this money and you know you worked so hard and you, yeah. and you were over and promoters screwed you over and you were you know racist race racism was going all kinds of stuff you know you know you'd probably be bitter so just gotta give give respect you know in that sense yeah um i wanted to bring up this because I, I i didn't know about this until i did my deep research february 2000 uh a, a tryout for world championship wrestling um i believe with terry taylor kevin sullivan and mike graham being there as well um tell me about how this came about and what this experience was like um okay you hear me okay? yeah 
Okay. Keep talking. Sounds like uh, hear me fine. I'm sorry. Hang on a second. Uh, it's gone a little weird there. Okay. So uh, audio, but uh, can you hear me? Just yeah, everything's good. Uh, can can I uh, keep talking now? Okay. I think it's clear now. Oh yeah, it's cleared up now. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Good. 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 All right. So, um, what was your question again? Sorry, man. Uh, so the uh, tryout for World Championship Wrestling in February of two thousand. Um. Yeah, that was um. Okay, tryout, tryout, tryout. Uh, I, th I think you're talking about the one that I did, the closed tryout that I did up in um Reno. A couple of things. So I was, I was. This is all pushed by Terry Taylor again, because when Ter Ter Terry had you know, asked me to come to the training facility in Connecticut. And apparently I heard that went well with, you know, when I trained with Dom, Dr. Tom Pritchard and everything. So apparently that went well, but then Terry got fired from WWE, which kind of killed my connection right there. So then Terry ended up popping up in WCW. So then he contacted me and said, Hey, I'm over here now. Let me bring you in over here. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was really like, you know, it's really like who, you know, kind of a thing. Right. So, and that, you know, that was Mike's connection too. Terry, Terry knew Mike and Terry likes Mike. So, you know, Mike, Mike got a lot of opportunities through Terry as well. So Terry set me up to go to the power plant. So I went to the power plant first. So I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about in the tryout sense, because in a way they sent me to the power plant for a tryout. And then I also did um, what's considered a closed, a closed tryout. Terry Taylor told me to fly myself to Reno, Nevada, which was like a, I guess like a 45 minute flight from San Francisco. He said, fly yourself to Reno, Nevada, and we're gonna give you a closed tryout. And I said, what is that? And he said, we're gonna put you in front of like our, our trainers, um, in front of some of the wrestlers who are executives, and we're just gonna you know, put you through some drills. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I flew myself to Reno. They reimbursed me for it and everything, paid me as if I was working a show. Um, and then, uh, I worked in front of, um, it was like Ric Flair, Sid Vicious, Scott Steiner. Um, I think Mike Graham was there, um, like Doug Dillinger. Some other guys were there. Um, Terry wasn't there. Terry, he was like, Tony, I, I have to do other things. And, um, so he, he had to leave. But um, I remember Sid Vicious really being there, um, just really, you know, talking to me. is like, you know, Tony, you're a big guy. And, you know, you got to do it like this. And this is what I do. And. I mean, I was, I was, I was honestly surprised and shocked, pleasantly surprised to see how articulate he really was. Um, I later found out more about Sid when I saw his shoot interviews and things like that, right? But you know, you see this big gigantic monster looking dude, Sid Justice, Sid Vicious, and he's always screaming and yelling and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. But I mean, the guy is very articulate, very smart, um, uh, very patient, took time, you know, just critiquing me, right? Telling me how to do things from a big man perspective. You know, because, you know, you know, it was like they were all spending time, Ric Flair talking to me, Scott Steiner talking to me, you know, about the amateur part. He knew I'd wrestled amateur. So, you know, that that went great. Um, I remember Tank Abbott from the UFC being out there watching me. Um, uh, so, you know, so I had a couple of what you would call, I guess, tryouts with WCW. Um, the power plant, um, that was that was a rough scene um, in that, in that, in that, in that training camp, uh, they had, um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start to, I don't know if you have a question about this, but I'm just going to bring this up anyway. Sure. Um, uh, at the power plant, I remember it being like, and, and excuse me for saying this, can I, can I use a cuss word? <laughs> yes. It was bullshit. Okay. 
Um, that's what the power plant was. Um, one of the guys in my camp uh, was Adam Pierce, okay, who's doing fantastic things in WWE right now. Um, but he was in the camp. Um, there's another guy named Rashi Brown. I think those two are friends. And uh, we went to the camp and basically what they wanted to do is just break us, right? So they put yeah. us in there and they had some of the guys shoot on Adam. And, you know, Adam's not an amateur, not a, uh, Adam. And I'm sure Adam is telling anybody this. I mean, he, you know, he's got to be real. He's got to be honest. He's not an amateur wrestler, right? And if he is an amateur wrestler, he's not like college level or anything like that, right? And they put him in there with like, you know, like Sean, St not Sean Stasiak, who's a great guy. Sean Stasiak, excuse me for saying that, because I ended up wrestling Sean Stasiak um, in college um, and I beat him <laughs> in a <laughs> college match. And we talked about it years later, you know, when Sean was wrestling in WWE. But um, so I slipped by saying Sean Stasiak, but it's the other one um, in WCW. I think he teamed with them. They were all part of the same team. Oh, I can't remember um, his name. He went to WWE, big guy, Sean. He did MMA. Uh, Chuck Palumbo. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sean O'Hare. O'Hare. Sean O'Hare, right. Sean O'Hare. Yes. Yeah. Sean O'Hare got in there and, I mean, just like roughed up one of the guys. Um, uh, this other guy, Reno. Um, these guys did some stuff with WCW. He got in there, roughed up one of the guys. And then I remember I got in there and who was it that I got in? Was it Reno? I think Reno and I got in there and Reno tried to pummel me like just like upper body, like Greco, right? Yeah. And Reno tried to pummel me. And, you know, I, I've been wrestling. I wrestled this guy named Matt Blevin, who I love dearly. And this guy was, you know, division two national champion and, you know, Greco national champion. And I, I, I dare you to try to throw me, you know, because <laughs> this guy is the best. And, and, and I trained under him for five years. And, you know, and I remember Reno trying to pummel me and he couldn't pummel me. And I remember pushing <laughs> Reno back and somebody saying, hey, Sarge, this kid knows what he's doing. <laughs> and when, when, they said, when they said that, Sarge goes, Jones, get out of the ring and give me laps. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you can't break me in the ring, so you're gonna break me by doing laps, fine. And I remember, I remember running with such pride, I'm like, thank you, coach, thank you, coach. These guys couldn't break me in the ring, you know? So, um, the next day, Adam told me, yeah, we're going to go home. And he goes, they're not going to do this to us. They're not going to beat us up like this. This is nonsense. You know, it's not what we came for. You know, this is, you know, we're real wrestlers and this is nonsense. So they left. So I stuck around and I remember um, Terry, Terry Taylor came on the last day. And the only reason I stuck around was just because I had the amateur wrestling background. And I was, you know, if they wanted to go, I'll go with them, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and I remember Terry Taylor coming on the last day and Terry was like, tell me where the other guys go. And I said, um, they, they left, you know, I said, it was, it was kind of rough, you know? And he said, why are you still here? And I said, well, because, you know, I wrestled amateur. I said, I can, I can take this, but these guys didn't have the background, you know? And Terry, I remember going over to Sarge and said, you know, these guys are, you know, real wrestlers. They're independent wrestlers and not guys off the street. And Terry really defended us, even though the guys weren't there. He defended Adam, he defended Rashi and myself when I was standing right there. Eric Bischoff was there. Um, I don't know if he heard any of it. He was on a cell phone call, but um, Eric Bischoff was in the uh, gym and he ripped in this um, Sarge and Paul wow. Orndorff is standing there. Yeah, and he says, you know, these guys are independent wrestlers. The reason they're here is because I'm trying to take a look at them. Um, they, they've all had tryouts with WWE. No, he didn't say WWE. He goes, they've all had tryouts up in New York. And, um, you know, and if we don't want to take them, I'm sure they might take them. So you can't be doing this to guys that I send down here. 
And, you know, and I remember Sarge looking at Terry, you know, and he was such like a drill sergeant on us and just like, come on, come on, come on. Right. And when Terry was like, you know, you can't be doing this. He was like, oh, it wasn't, we didn't do it. It wasn't that hard. And it was, <laughs> and I remember it was like, okay, look at this, you know, and I remember Sarge looking at me. It wasn't right. It wasn't that hard. Right. And I was like, it was, it was, it was, it was fine. It was fine. And that's when I was like, you know, this, 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 all this right here is for the birds. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, <laughs> so, so that was my power plant experience. You know, um, some, one of the guys, um, I think it's Kiwi. I think he does a podcast. Um, I'm telling him right now, if he sees this, um, I told him to put me on his show because uh, he was in the power, he was in the power plant. I'm like, dude, bring me on your show. I'd like to talk about the power plant. Let's talk about it. And he never got back to me. So uh, if he hears me, um, you know, put me on your show, dude, because I want to talk about the power plant and some of the experiences. You know, some guys, Sonny Siaki was there. Uh, Mike Sanders was there. Elix Skipper was there. Sean O'Hare was there. Um, you know, I can drop names. So, yeah. you know, you know, so I, I told him, I said, let's just, you know, I mean, not, 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 to, not to nail anybody or talk bad about nobody, but, you know, let's have this interesting conversation. So, you know, I do want to talk about the power plant because, like I said, I, I had done all this amateur wrestling and everything. And I thought that that was just a nonsense way of kind of treating the guys you know, yeah. bullying the guys, right? Right. So, so yeah, that was, that was, you know, the stuff that you hear about the power plant and it all being a bunch of muscle heads and, you know, bullies and all that, it, it was pretty much true. So. Right. Awesome stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I think Alan is uh, taking a little bit of a break with his podcast at the moment from what I've Yeah, heard. yeah, yeah. Alan Funk, right? Yeah. That's it. That's his name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. So I told, yeah, I told, <laughs> I told him I want to be on his show. You know, I mean, now, now no disrespect to Alan because he was cool when I was at the power plant. He was one of the cool ones, you know, but I just told him, I said, dude, I was at the power plant, you know, and I said, and you were there too. So, you know, bring me on your podcast and let's talk about, you know, when we met. So, um, you that know, would be cool when he does, do, when he, when he, yeah, when he does do his show, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to have a friendly chat with him. So it's all good. Cool. Um, uh, not too many more questions to go, Tony. Thank you so much for your time. I, I really wanted to ask you about XPW and your experience there and maybe why you didn't uh, stick around for a more prolonged amount of time with them. Uh, I know you worked a little bit with Tracy Smothers there, uh, also Pogo the Clown. Uh, tell me a little bit about how, you know, you, you uh, about your experience there with XPW and, and maybe why you didn't, um, I guess, stick around to do more shots with them. Um, I, I, I got the, I got the perfect answer. Um, so at the time I was trying to get a lot of, you know, a lot of dates in, right. And Roland, you know, I, I was, you know, the whole thing beyond the mat, um, had already come out. And I think Barry had told me, you know, Tony, you know, you have a lot of talent, you have a good look, you know, and I, and, you know, and I've, I've talked about you to other people and they said they book you, you know, I, I think you should try to go out there and get yourself booked outside of APW, you know, and that's what Barry told me. And I thank Barry to this day for that. You know, that was great um, because I didn't, I didn't have anybody else, you know, helping me in that area. Right. So um, Barry said, go out there and get booked. Right. So I was calling promoters to try to get booked. Right. And um, I had already been booked for Rick Bassman because WWE said they wanted to take some more looks at me. So go down and get booked for Rick Bassman. So I got booked for Rick. When I got booked for Rick, I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. I wonder what else is going on in L.A. So I found out like a couple of days before um, the UPW shows, XPW was running shows. So I, you know, I looked them up on the Internet, which was new, kind of new at the time. And I looked them up on the Internet and I found I think it was Kevin Kleinrock's number. 
and um, called Kevin. So my name's Tony Jones. And he was oh, I've heard of you from EPW. And I said, yeah. And I said, I'd like to come down and get, you know, do a match and that, this and this. And I said, the only, the only thing is, I said, I, uh, I said, I'm, you know, I'm kind of being looked at by WWE. I said, I don't want to, um, I don't want to come in there and do any garbage stuff. I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wrestler. I said, I want to get in there and I want to, I want to work with someone. And Kevin was like, yeah, no, no, no problem, Tony. We got guys that can work here too. And I said, okay, cool. I, you know, give me one of them. And he said, he said, okay, no problem. So I got myself booked for XPW and UPW. So it was like over like a five day span, right? So um, I remember telling Rick, he's like, oh yeah, Rick, you know, I got some XPW dates booked as well. And Rick was like, oh yeah, you know, we really don't like them. And, um, and I said, oh, and he said, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's this competition thing and they've done this to us. And, we don't like them they don't like us so you know tony you're, you're not really one of my guys so I'll, I'll let this slide but in the future i'd like you i'd like you to pick a side right. goes, you know i don't really want i really don't i really don't want you to you know um i really don't want you to yeah i can't have you going between both so he did let me work both so that's how i ended up coming in and doing those shots right so when i when i came in i remember uh i was in the locker room and abdul the butcher is sitting there and um, Abdul the Butcher looks at, looks at me and he was like, you're working tonight, kid? I said, yeah. And he goes, who are you working? And he goes, I don't know yet. And he was like, oh, do you juice? And I didn't know what he meant by that, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm still kind of new to the business. He's like, do you juice? It's like, that could mean like, do you take steroids? You know, do you bleed? I don't know what he meant by that, right? <laughs> so he said, you know, do you juice? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, uh, do you bleed? And I said, uh, I said, no, nah, no, nah, I don't, I don't bleed. No? I said, no, no. I kind of want to see you bleed tonight. And I said, oh, really? I don't, I don't see that happening, brother. And I never in my life thought that I would be talking to Abdul. But, you know, I used to watch this guy when I was a kid. I was scared. So I'm in the locker room and he's like, yeah, I don't see that happening, brother. And he goes, no. And I said, no. And uh, Rob Black comes walking in. He goes, there you are. He goes, Tony. He goes, I got you tonight working against Tracy Smothers. Um, I got you tomorrow night working against Tracy Smothers. And then on the third night, I got your buddy, uh, Hogo the Clown. You, that is your buddy, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, okay, so that's your, that's your three shows. And I said, okay, cool. Now, Tony, did I take care of you? And I said, yes, you did, Rob. And he said, okay, good. And then Abdullah's like, hey, Rob, what's up with this kid? He said he doesn't believe. And Rob looks at Abdullah and he goes, Tony? Nah, Tony, Tony's like an amateur wrestler. He's a, he's a real wrestler. Tony, Tony doesn't do all that. And he walked out and Rob, was, and then Abdullah goes, hmm. And I was like, thank you, Rob. So, you know, I, you know, I hear all this bad stuff about Rob and, you know, what Rob did and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying Rob didn't do anything. I don't know what he did or didn't do. Right. But, you know, Rob was nothing but respectful to me. You know, he's starting to run some XPW shows again. And, you know, I reached out to him. I was like, hey, Rob, do you remember me? And he was like, you know, Shooter Tony Jones, of course I remember you and yada, yada, yada. And this is like, you know, a couple months ago, Yeah. you know, and, um, you know, Rob, Rob was nothing but nice to me. I mean, he put me in an angle with him. You know, I was like, it was like the Black Army, I think, yeah. where Tracy was part, part of the Black Army. So, you know, uh, the whole thing was like, you know, who, who are you? You know, oh, I know who you are. You're that guy from Beyond the Mat. You know, it's like, okay, okay, yeah, you didn't get that match, you didn't get that tryout with the WWE, so you're here now, well, we're going to kick your ass, and, you know, so it was like, it was like that whole storyline, you know, letting everybody know, okay, we know who you are, you know, so, so it was, you know, he, he put me over, you know, it was, it was, a uh, so Rob, Rob took care of me, like I said, I know, you know, I know there's some bad stuff out there about him, like I said, I don't, I'm not saying he did, didn't do it, but, 
you know, he was, he was cool to me. Kevin Kleinbach was cool to me. Um, yeah, so I had a good time in XPW. And the reason I left was because I had to pick a side. And when I saw what was going on in UPW and WWE had told me to go down there. And when I did work down there, I had Bruce Pritchard coming up to me. And, you know, a couple of shows later, Triple H is coming to the show. And, you know, Jim Ross is coming to the show. It didn't take a genius to know, you know, where, where, which side you should pick. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, so, I, so I easily, you know, you had John Cena, you had Samoa Joe, Frankie Kazarian. You know, you had all these guys, you know, at the time, you know, who, you know, we were all just indie guys, you know, so, so these guys went on to do things, but, um, but, you know, that's, that's the kind of like the crew we had down there. So you didn't have, you didn't have to think too hard, you know, which side you wanted to pick. XPW was great, you know, and, you know, they had some really good workers, but I mean, I think UPW, you know, being looked at by WWE was on a different level. Right. Interesting stuff. Um, and it is such an interesting period of time in the pro wrestling business at that point in time. Uh, when we're talking about the year 2000 going into 2001, obviously ECW, WCW, unfortunately go out of business, close their doors, get bought by the WWE. Um, and, and yeah, as you're talking about all these guys, uh, Joe, Adam Pierce, Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, uh, you know, they're only just getting started and now, you know, they're on television today. Uh, so interesting time in the business. Um, I know on the 21st of May 2001, you worked with Raven in San Jose uh, for an edition of WWF Jacked. Um, tell me a little bit about that and also your perspective on how things may have changed, uh, it, I guess, all the independent guys now that you know two of the three major promotions are, are, are now uh, out of business. Yeah, that to me that was kind of like um, in a way that was kind of like the end of the business to me. Mm. Um, that that was kind of like the end to me. That was the end of the wrestling business, and that was the beginning of sports entertainment. Now I know Vince was still doing sports entertainment you know, during the Attitude Era and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, because you had ECW and you had WCW and they still kind of did a lot of wrestling and all that kind of stuff, it was still like wrestling, right? But now mm. Vince is the deciding factor, right? Vince is the man, right? There is no WCW. He owns it all. ECW is pretty much gone. ECW is almost swallowed by WWE. So now it's Vince. So now everything Vince says, that's what wrestling is. So if Vince says wrestling is sports entertainment now, that's what it is. Whereas before, he can say it's sports entertainment, but that's just his company. Now you had WCW, if they want to say, we wrestle, right? Remember that was like their motto? It yeah. was like, you know, WCW, we wrestle. That was like in the 90s and where the big boys play and, you know, that whole thing, right? Because it was like WWE was kind of talking about sports entertainment and being light and, um, you know, other, other like ECW, WCW, they were more like, we're wrestlers, we're hard hitting, we're tougher, right? Yeah. So when WWE bought, bought out WCW to me it just that was the end of the wrestling business the wrestling business as a as we knew it was over now it's a sports with now it's sports entertainment and now we're getting into a new now wrestling is becoming something else so as far as I was concerned that's kind of like when I started to start stop wrestling mm. because now I'm like okay if you don't get a job with WWE you're not getting a job you know now you're just going to bounce around on the indies you know whereas before you know you can go to ECW you can go to WCW you can go to WWE you know, there are places to go. And if you go to WWE and it doesn't work out for you there, you can go to WCW, you know, so there was just places to move, right? But when Vince became the deciding factor, if you're not getting a job in WWE, you're not getting a job at all. So, you know, I think that kind of took, took the wind out of the sails, you know, for a lot of us during that time. 
because it was only, you know, it was a few years later when TNA resurfaced, right? Yeah. A few years later, right? When TNA resurfaced and now WWE had some sort of competition, right? Today, of course, you've got AEW and, you know, things are different now, right? But yeah. at that time, it was like Vince had just swallowed up the wrestling business and there was nothing else around. So it was, it, to me, it was a very depressing time in the business. Definitely, because, you know, the WWE roster now takes in some guys from ECW, WCW, trying to even get in there in the door now at that point because their roster had been bloated uh, and, and all that. There's nowhere else to get a, a you know, a, make a living by getting a contract with. Uh, it's taken, you know, near uh, 20 years for the business to finally, like, uh, start to recover a little bit from that. Now, there are options for people to actually do it for a living, which is nice. Um, um, to answer your question, though, um, so I got the, I got the gig because I was always in contact with WWE whenever they come out lo you know, locally to the San Jose area and stuff like that. I'd right, always yeah. reach out to them and find, find out if I could get matches in and stuff like that. So this was one of the opportunities when they were like, hey, we're coming to San Jose, would you, you, know, would you be available? So when I went to the show, they told me I was going to work Raven. Now, funny backstory on that was that I was uh, sick with pneumonia um, oh, shit. On, 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 that, on, that, uh, on that day, right? And um, I went to work that day. Um, because I was going to do like a half day work until about 10, 11. And then I was going to leave, go to San Jose and, you know, get to the show. Cause I had to get to the show, I think by 12. So that was my plan. Well, the night before I got really, really, really sick. And I went to the emergency room and they told me I had like walking pneumonia. So I ended up going home the next morning. I got up, I went to work. Cause I was like, I, I gotta go because I'm going to have to tough my way through this. Right. So when I go to work, I'm like in the parking lot about to go into the building and I'm like, dude, I feel so bad. So I go inside, I make a phone call. I set up an appointment. I go to the emergency room at, at um, Kaiser. And this is the morning of that Raven match. And I, 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 I go to the doctor and I'm like, you know, uh, is there anything you can do for me? He goes, no, you have walking pneumonia. He goes, you really need to be like at home in bed. And I said, yeah, I got to wrestle in the WWF tonight. Oh. And he said, uh, and he says, yeah, no, you have walking pneumonia. You're not wrestling in the WWF tonight. I said, no, 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 I'm wrestling in the WWF tonight. And I said, this, this is, this thing doesn't come every day. And, you know, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll crawl down to the ring if I have to. I said, but I'm wrestling in the WWF. Now, is there anything you can do to help me? And I, I got to look at my records and see what they did. But he told me, he said, and I thank you for this doc. That he said, there's a shot I can give you that will reduce your symptoms for a few hours. But after your symptoms are reduced, they're going to come back and you're going to be really sick. And I said, okay, if you can just get me through the match, I'll, I'll do it. And I remember him giving me a shot. It hurt. Um, within an hour, I started feeling a lot better. I was driving to San Jose and I started feeling better. I'm like, okay, this is good, right? The congestion went away, the funny stomach pains and everything went away. I was feeling a lot better. So I go to the show, I get dressed up, Raven and I go for our match, everything is good. I walk to the ring, I'm in the ring. All of a sudden, Raven's music hits. When Raven's music hits, I start feeling hot. And I'm like, ooh, what is that? Am I nervous? And all of a sudden, my stomach just starts to spin. And I start saying, oh, my God, I start, I'm starting to feel like I'm about to throw up. And I start feeling sick all of a sudden, right? So now Raven gets in the ring, and the match is about to start, right? And I remember thinking, okay, I'll know how I am when I take my first bump. So the match happens, and then I forget what happens. But I took a bump, and I was like, okay, I didn't throw up. I'm okay. But, yes, in that match, 
I had pneumonia and I was sick, sick as a dog. And I got through the match and I went in the, in the back and I wanted to go throw up because I didn't feel good. I was felt so sick. And I remember Raven calling me over here. Hey, hey, brother, come over here for a second. I was like, oh shit, I feel like sick. I gotta go throw up, but I'm not gonna walk away from Raven. He, you know, that's so disrespectful. Yeah, yes. So I walk over to him and he's talking to me about, you know, yeah, that was good, you know. Uh, you know, do this and wear this and wear that and something more flashy and, you know, make yourself stand out, you know, and you got a good body and maybe something a little bit more low cut or something, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. And I thank him for that because, you know, he was really, you know, they say Raven had a great mind for the business and that he should be an agent and all this kind of stuff. And yes, he should, you know, because I, you know, he took me aside and, you know, was talking to me and I thought that was really cool. And I remember sitting there listening to him and really being appreciative to it. And I said, okay. I said, yeah, okay. And he said, all right, kid, and he walks away. And when he walks away, I went right to the bathroom and I threw up. So, you know, so yeah, on that match, I was sick as a dog. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it, I think it looked good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, bro. Um, I want to also bring up, uh, if and, and correct me again if I'm wrong, uh, at the Arca Arena, 31st of August, 2004, I believe you teamed with somebody in a dark match against the Basham brothers. Is that correct? I, I always forget about that. Um, um, that was, I think I teamed with um, um, Jason Stiles. Um, Jason Stiles um, worked for Big Time Wrestling. Um, I've known him a lot of years, really cool guy, good friend of mine. Um, the, owner of big time wrestling here in the Bay Area was Kurt White. Kurt White um, was really plugged in with like Bret Hart and a lot of WWE guys. He would do like autograph signings and things like that for a lot of guys in. It was a good, you know, when he, whatever he said he'd pay you, he'd pay you. And he wow. paid well. He was, he was a respectful guy. He was a good guy. He passed away recently. Um, Jason Styles was one of his guys, one of his top guys. So Jason and I tagged against um, the Basham brothers. I think the, the best thing probably that Jason did was I think Jason is um, responsible for training Bailey in right. WWE. Yeah. So um, um, I think I saw, I think I, I knew that he had trained Bailey, but I think I saw a documentary with her where she gives props, you know, and I think he's, I think he's in the documentary too, I think. But uh, yeah, it was, it was Jason and I who, um, who we teamed against, uh, uh, we teamed to go against the Basham brothers who they were super cool. That was for, I think it was a, um, I think it was a lead in for SmackDown. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. less velocity. Yep. Um, velocity. Yeah. 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 Uh, just a couple more questions about these uh, different uh, dark matches or matches on, on heat, etc. 26th of February, 2007. So this is a few years later. Uh, you work with Eugene on okay, heat at Fresno State. Just dying on me. Hold on. <laughs> Technical, worry, technical difficulties. Give me a second. <laughs> all right. All right. Looks like I lost video, but I'm here. Okay. There we are. See? See? I'm prepared. <laughs> there we go. Back in business. Bro. All right. Let's go on. Cool, bro. Uh, 26th of February 2007 is a few years after this Fashion Brothers match. Uh, you work with Eugene on heat at Fresno State University. Uh, do you have any is that where it was? Uh, apparently the internet can be wrong <laughs> okay um fresno state university i don't know if that's where it was i, I want to say it was somewhere else but anyway um yeah that was that was that was great um that was my that was my first time actually doing a um a comedy match right um, 
um, that was really cool because, you know, uh, at the time Eugene was doing the um, me like mentally challenged guy gimmick, right? Yeah. And which he did fantastically. You know, I, I just, that, it was amazing how he did that. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I had to kind of work my gimmick, which was a shooter gimmick around that gimmick, which was kind of, you know, awkward. And, um, you know, he was just such a professional and he, you know, he, he, he was, I, I go, uh, he goes, yeah, we're going to work today. And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, brother, I said, whatever you want to do, man. I said, I'll, you know, I'll be there for you. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah. I know, I know you've been around. I, I've seen some of your stuff. And I said, oh really? And he goes, yeah, but dude, we're just going to keep it so simple. We're going to do a little bit of comedy, you know, cause that's what they want to see. So we're just going to do some comedy. I'm going to do this and this and this, and, you know, just get your, you know, get your stuff in, you know, and, and we'll just do this and this and this. And he was so cool to work with, um, you know, you know, he's an indie guy too, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you know, um, so, uh, so Nick Dinsmore. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so yeah, he's super, super, super cool, you know? And, um, so we went out there, we had a great match. And what I, what I remember most about that match, because I'm just so grateful for is that they really put me over. Um, if you ever watch the match, which I have a really good copy of that match too. Um, I don't know if it's out there on the, um, YouTube, but I do have some, some of my matches that I do want to start putting up on YouTube. Um, but, uh, um, in that match, they keep saying like, you know, Tony Jones grabbing Eugene and whipping him off, you know, Tony Jones doing this and this. And I remember just Tony Jones, Tony Jones, Tony Jones, you know, it wasn't like, you know, they just, they kept saying my name, you know, and I kept getting an offense in, I hit a clothesline, I had a, a chin lock, I body slammed him, my leg dropped him, you know, I did a lot of, you know, I got a lot of stuff in, right? And they just kept saying like, Tony Jones, Tony Jones. And I think even at one point, they even were like, you know, this Tony Jones is not a bad looking guy. You know what he looks like? He looks like a skinnier version of Jonathan Coachman. And I remember Jonathan Coachman was like, hey, 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 there's only one coach. Now, come on now. Now, you know, some guys, you know, they can't they can't have the bald head. But Tony Jones, just like myself, you know, we can take the bald head and run with it. You know, so, you know, all this is on the air. You know what I mean? So, you know, so I'm just like, they're just putting me over. So that was that was just fantastic. And I remember Roland said, you know, Tony, I saw that match you had. He goes, they really kind of put you over there. They kept announcing your name. And I said, yeah. So that was my takeaway from the whole thing. I'm just that, I mean, that was for me, I, I can retire right there. I'm done. You know, I got, I got my name on television a bunch of times in WWE. The announcers announced me I'm done. So <laughs> that was probably one of my favorite moments was that match with Eugene, just because of how we kind of went back and forth and they announced me as if I was like one of the guys on the roster. Yeah, that's really cool. Usually when there's a match like that, they, they might mention uh, the guy's name once, but the fact that once, they, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah Jones, they'll say Jones or, yeah. you know, or Tony or, or whatever, or this kid or, yeah. you know, what or whatever. But, you know, it's like, no, they were Tony Jones, Tony Jones, Tony Jones. I mean, they must have said my name probably 20 times, you know? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, another one I wanted to bring up, we're getting very, very close to the end here, Tony, uh, but the 23rd of July 2007 at the Arco Arena again, this time against uh, Schnitzky. Um, how did that one go? Um, that went well. That was just, that was, a, that was really just a, a straight squash. Right. Um, and uh, at the time, um, Schnitzky was getting ready for John Cena. And um, I remember Vince McMahon coming up to Snitsky and, you know, Vince just looking at it, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going over my match with him. Right. And uh, Vince comes over, he looks at me and he kind of tips his head at me like, Hey, and I was like, Oh, hi, how are you doing, sir? And he was like, looking good, Gene, you know, and Gene's sitting there, you know, thank you, sir. You know, <laughs> just big as a big, big as a house, you know? And, um, 
when McMahon walks away and he was like, you know, I know I've seen you. I know you, I know you, you know, I've seen you on the Indies and stuff. I know you've been around and everything, but you know, they really want me to squash you. You know, they want me to, you know, they want me to get ready for, you know, for uh, John and, you know, they, they, you know, they want me to squash you. So I'm sorry, brother. I'm like, brother, it's totally okay. You know, it's like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm here for you, dude. I said, you know, whatever, whatever you, you know, whatever you want, you know, but I remember Gene being so cool, you know, like it was like, almost like it was like, it was like hurting his feelings that he had to like squash me, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, nah, nah, dude, it was, it's, it's okay. That's, that's what I'm here for. You know, it's like, I'm happy to be here. Right. So, um, so yeah, so that match was pretty much just a squash, but it was, it was great because, you know, I remember Gene going out there and, you know, working in the main event against uh, John for the, one of the upcoming next shows. And I was like, yeah. yeah, that's cool. You know, I helped, I helped, I helped get him there, you know, him beating me and squashing me, I guess, I guess the fact of me being bigger, you know, and him, cause what he did was he kind of, and I, Randy Orton came up to me afterwards and um, Randy Orton walks over to me and he was like, Hey, you had a good match there. And I thought he was like making fun of me, right? Cause I had heard Randy is kind of sarcastic and things like that. So he was like, hey, you had a good match there. And I was like, really? I wasn't, it was nothing brother. And, uh, and he goes, nah, nah, man, it was, it was good. And I said, nah, nah, it was really nothing brother. And he goes, look, they wanted you to put him over, right? You put him over. When he grabbed you and he yanked you to your feet, I saw you kind of jump up a little bit. So he was like, he looked like a, he looked like a killer. You did good, man. I was like, thank you, brother. And he was like, Randy Orton, as if I didn't know who he was, right? And he was like, you know, he's like, Randy Orton. And I'm like, you know, Tony Jones, nice to meet you. So he walked away. And that's when I felt like, okay, you know, I did, I did good. Cause you know, Randy, Randy Orton took some time to tell me that, you know, he thought I did good. Cause he was like, no, nah, you you know, they, they wanted you to, oh, are you still? Yeah, still there. Okay. Okay. I thought I lost you for a second. So no, when Randy, Randy said, you know, you, you, they wanted you to, they wanted you to put him over and you put him over, you did good. And I, I, I guess so when you look at it like that, yeah. You know, I said, thank you. But yeah, Randy Orton told me I did good. And that's when I felt like I did good, but otherwise it was just a squash. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, you'd already yeah. talked about kind of uh, uh, slowing down with wrestling uh, after the, you know, uh, you know, uh, that conversation with Bruce, you're still working a little bit, but you're mostly focused on, on, on your actual job and your family and all that stuff. And you, you wrestle here and there, which is awesome. Um, you told me earlier about uh, when APW went to the Cow Palace uh, and, and you worked a couple of shows there. Uh, and I also noticed that you, you worked in 2017, but then you also said that you, yeah, you wrestled five months ago. Um, wanted to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to know if right, there will right. be. Is there going to be any more Tony Jones uh, matches in the future, or do you feel like uh, you you sailed off into the sunset uh, as far as wrestling is concerned? I'd like to say that I sailed off into the sunset, and I am happy to do so. And, um, I'm I'm in really good shape right now, and I promise, I swear, I can get in the ring right now if I wanted to, and that's a good feeling. And that's why I'm not going to wrestle is because I feel good and I feel like I can get in there. And the fact that I stopped now means I stopped on my own terms. I didn't stop because I had an injury. I didn't stop because I was too old. You know, I didn't stop because my body broke down. Right. I stopped when I was still able to do this just because I wanted to. And, you know, that's a good that's a good way to stop, you know. So so I'm, I'm good with embracing it. 
you know, I felt like um, even though I was in good shape and everything, um, you know, and I felt, you know, I felt great. I just felt like it just wasn't my time anymore. You know, and it's like, you know, I, 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 I you know, I've always been like a, a, a fan of like, you know, professional boxing, right? I love boxing. I love like MMA, even more so than like pro wrestling, right? And I've always been like, a, you know, biggest fan of boxing and stuff. And I always thought it was so sad to see these guys that were just so fantastic in their prime and they just hung on too long, right? And it was like, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, how he looked at the end of his career, right? Muhammad Ali how he looked at the end of his career. You know, a lot of these guys, Mike Tyson, how he looked at the end of his career, a lot of these guys just, they start doing it for the money because now they're fighting off their reputation. Mm. And I just, I just, I just remember, you know, not like I'll be fighting off my reputation, but what we're doing is we're holding on to that glory. Right. And I just, I was always like, no, dude, that's so pathetic. You know, it's like, you know, if you, if you're doing, this is my, my perspective on it, right? If you're doing that, that means you haven't found anything else in life that gave you any sort of gratification that can take the place of that, right? Yeah. And I feel, and I feel like um, with uh, growth, right? And maturity, right? You need to be able to kind of say, okay, I'm past that. I'm doing this now. But when you don't have this now, you're always holding on to that. You see what I mean? And yeah. so I've always tried to make, I've always tried to make it like, you know, I got to find something else. It's like, whatever it was that I put all my energy into pro wrestling, I got to find something else and put my energy into that, that will take me into my upper years. Right. So no, I don't think I'll ever wrestle again. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't want to wrestle again. Mike and I kind of joke around and kid around about, you know, maybe we should do a match together and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, I, 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 I it, it would have to be totally for the right reason and we'd have to both want to do it. Um, but I, I, I don't see it, you know, like I said, I did it five months ago and the feeling wasn't there no more and everything, all the stars and everything were lined up perfectly and it just didn't feel right. So, so I'm, right. so I'm good with, a so I'm good with walking away from it. Yeah. I had a great time, uh, great memories. I mean, you're doing an interview with me based on what I've done. Right. So I'm totally happy with what I've done, what I've accomplished, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't need to do it no more. And I, I, you know, and like I said, I'm in really good shape. I'm really healthy. I have no injuries. I've, I've gone through my entire life with no breaks, no, you know, no serious injuries. I mean, I have, I played, I played football at high levels. I played, you know, I did amateur wrestling at high levels. I did pro wrestling at a high level and I've never been hurt. I'm like, dude, an injury is waiting for me. You know, <laughs> keep, keep, keep doing this. And you're gonna get hurt, so I'm gonna stop while I'm ahead. Now, if I fall down the stairs or you know get into a car accident, that's different. But it's not gonna be in the ring. So, <laughs> yeah, good stuff, bro. Um, and 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 that's great to hear, bro. And uh, I guess this is now bringing us toward the end of the interview, which brings me to my final segment of the show. Five second frenzy is what it's called, Tony. You don't have to get the answer within five seconds. I shouldn't have called it that because it just puts unnecessary pressure on my guests. But we already messed fire. up because now, now I'm th- now I'm thinking it's five seconds. You know, <laughs> we'll go ahead. Yeah, quick fire questions for quick fire answers. First one, Tony. Who's your favorite professional wrestler? Ric Flair. Excellent. Do you have anybody that you would say is your favorite opponent that you had over the years? I'd say modest. Um, because of, you know, because of what we've done together. And after we did Beyond the Mat together, um, it was just so much fun because people wanted to see us together. So I take modest. Yeah. Cool. I had some uh, good matches with Dick Grimes. I had some good matches with Dick Grimes too, but I put modest as number one. Yes. 
Excellent. Uh, if you could pick one match from your whole wrestling career that's the most special one for you, what would you pick? Uh, the match in Beyond the Mat, um, because it was shot for the movie, um, you know, uh, Mike and I were being followed around with cameras in the WWE. So, you know, all these, you know, Ahmed Johnson, you know, and all these guys are sitting there and looking at these two independent wrestlers, like, who the hell are these guys and why are the cameras following them? We're the stars. <laughs> so, you know, so to, to have that kind of privilege, um, yes, that was the great, and to, me, to wrestle in the WWF in front of my mother, that was the greatest moment in my life, yes, in my wrestling career. Excellent, excellent, bro. Uh, getting away from wrestling now, do you have a favorite book? Do I have a favorite book? You know, I, I'm a, I'm ashamed to say that I don't read as much as I should. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I read, you know, I read a lot, you know, well, not no more because they're kind of passe, but, you know, of course I, you know, I read a lot of magazines and newspapers and things like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't read a lot of books. Um, um, I did, I did read the book Jaws, right? Because um, that is my, my, my favorite movie. And I, the reason I read that from cover to cover was because I heard that the Jaws book was different than the movie. And I'm like, are right. you serious? So if I read this book, it's going to be something different. You know, because I'm like, why would you read the book if you already know how it's going to turn out, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, 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 the book is totally different. And I'm like, oh, so I read that book cover to cover, no problem, right? <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I have a short attention span. I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a video guy. I'm a video game music television movie kind of guy so you know i like things to kind of keep moving and it's just just sitting there looking at words on a page and i just kind of fall asleep so you know i can read i'm educated but i just don't, <laughs> I, just, I, just don't I just don't read books that often no i can understand i'm kind of the same way as well i i really need uh more stimulus to uh keep myself going uh, and, and nothing against reading books. I, I love reading books, but I know where you're coming from there. Um, so I guess favorite film has been covered now, but do, uh, do you have a favorite TV show? I have a lot of favorite TV shows. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seven, I, I grew up in the seventies, eighties, right? That's kind of like my nineties too, right? But um, so I'm in a seven, I'm a seventies and eighties kid. So all my movies, my music, my TV shows, you know, it's like everything I like is always during that, those decades, right? I just don't like the stuff today as much, the TV shows as much, the, you know, the comedy to me, to, to me isn't as funny. Um, it's so sensitive today and just, you know, just the way things are today, right? Yeah. And, you know, they do, they do do a lot of good movies today, films that are being made today. There's a lot of good films being made today, but I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, the Jaws and the Godfather and, you know, some of these Scarface and some of these movies are just total classics that will never die. Right? Yeah, I don't know if, you know, these movies today are made with glitz and glamour and they don't have the same meat and substance as some of these older films. So, uh, uh, I don't know, I, you know, I like Three's Company. I love Sanford and Son, um, you know, uh, I love, you know, Good Times. I love like Gilligan's Island. And, you know, I go, I go from like the sixties, the seventies, the eighties. So, you know, I mean, take your pick. And I love all those TV, <laughs> Brady Bunch. I mean, all these shows, I, I love all those TV shows. Yeah, all classics. Uh, favorite musical artist or band? Michael Jackson. Love Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, number one, um, I'd say probably, even though I've only liked maybe two of his albums, as far as who I've just liked over longevity and, uh, you know, what I've liked, probably Prince is number two. And probably uh, uh, Tupac Shakur, number three. Yeah, so kind of, a, kind of a weird, kind of, kind of a weird top three, huh? Michael Jackson, <laughs> Prince, and Tupac. 
<laughs> no, I think that's which a, that's which a, one doesn't which which one doesn't belong, you know. <laughs> I think that's a great choice, all three of them. Um, getting away from the arts now, only only a few more to go here, Tony. Uh, favorite food. Ooh, favorite food. I like meat and potatoes. I'm a steak. I'm a steak guy. I love um I love filet mignon. Um, I, if you would ask me oh, a few years ago, I would have probably said spaghetti is my favorite, but I'll go with a good filet mignon. I went to Martha's Vineyard for my birthday because, I, like I said, I love Jaws. So for my birthday, on my 50th birthday last year, I went to uh, Martha's Vineyard is where they shot Jaws, you know, the island and everything. So I went out there and had the greatest filet mignon I'd ever had in my life. Awesome. So I'm going to say I'm going to say filet mignon is my favorite dish if I had to you know, pick my favorite. Yes. Excellent. Uh, when you were traveling uh, in the wrestling business, did you have a favorite place to eat on the road? No, no, we just kind of, you know, we just kind of ate wherever we stopped. And that's, a, that was a different thing about me too. It's like, you know, I didn't really do a lot of traveling with the guys, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, I always, I always had a girlfriend, right? So a lot of times it was an opportunity from, you know, me and my girl that, Hey, you want to go do something for the weekend? You know, let's go down to LA and, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this show and you can hang out, you know? So a lot of times, you know, the guys would all, you know, jump into somebody's truck or van or whatever, and they would do the road trip and do the guy bonding and all that right. stuff. Right. But, um, you know, I always had my, you know, I, I always had like a nice car and I'd just be like, oh, I'll take my Mustang down to L.A. and I'll bring my girl. And so I, that was always my thing. So I didn't really, you know, so we, we always did stuff different than a lot of the boys. And I, I took a lot of heat for that, too, because like, oh, look at Tony, he doesn't want to be one of the boys. And I remember um, Roland made me the APW champion. And he was like, you know, Tony, it's like, you know, now that you're the champion, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to kind of hang out more, you know, this whole thing where. You know, when the show's over, you go home and, you know, so you need to kind of hang out. You know, you got to represent APW and you got to represent, you know, you're one of the boys now. So you're just going to have to hang out more. I was like, okay, Roland, then take the belt off me. And he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to take the belt off you. I want you to just hang out more with the boys. And I said, well, I don't want to hang out with the boys. I said, I want to go home after shit. Because my thing was like, when the show was over, right, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I want to go get something to eat go home maybe there's some boxing on or something else going on because i got uh, my life that i got i gotta live you know and these guys you know they want to go to a bar they want to go do the pro wrestler thing and i'm just like i got i got other plans so i caught a lot of heat for that for not always hanging out with the guys after the shows and all that kind of stuff and i remember roland telling me um you know years later when he was sick he said you know tony i used to give you a lot of heat about that because you didn't hang out with the boys but you know looking back on it you're probably smarter than all of us because what you did was that you would leave and you would go home to your family and you would be with the people that mattered most while mm -hmm. we all sat around talking shit about people drinking and just doing whatever he said you were doing the substance while we were just bullshitting yeah. so you know that 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 meant a lot to me when he told me that years later, he was sick. And I think he was calling people to kind of like, you know, make peace and just, you know, right. so, so I, I remember, I remember having, that's why I was like, you know, Roland, I, I, I'm in a really good place with Roland. I, you know, I went to his funeral, you know, and I got nothing but, you know, I say, you know, God bless Roland. And I, I, you know, I probably, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I talked to a couple of guys who are like, you know, Roland, I hate Roland. He's this, he's that, and he's dead, but who cares? you know, and some guys really are, don't like him. And I don't have that perspective. My thing is that he gave me an opportunity to live my dream. And without him, I don't think I would have ever did pro wrestling. And, you know, did he, did he do things wrong? Yes. Did he make me mad? Yes. 
could he have been better? Yes. Could, could we have all done better? You know, yeah, we probably all could have done things differently. But, you know, when I look back on it, you know, Roland did more good for me than bad. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. So I do that. I, like I said, everything for me is positive. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like you need that in order to kind of, you know, move on in life. Right. Cause you get, you get stuck in that place too. If you start talking about, Oh, this sucked and this sucked and this, sucked. you're giving all that power to that. Yeah. And I just, I, you know, I just don't have that. I don't have that. You know, I talked to some of the guys and they, you know, they talk that way and, you know, they didn't, they didn't get a chance to do WWE. They always wanted to do WWE. They never got that chance and they're pissed. You know, it's like, I, you know, I got a chance to do everything I wanted to do. So I'm, I'm grateful. So, and I, and I walked away with no injuries. So can't, can't get any better than that. Yep. Very cool, bro. I only have three more to go here on this segment. Um, favorite alcoholic beverage, or if you don't drink, just your favorite beverage in general. Um, when I was in pro wrestling, Steve Rosano introduced me to Irish uh, peppermint schnapps, 100 proof. And I used to drink that. And when I wrestled, when I wrestled in Japan, um, when I wrestled in Japan, the owner of the company would give me shots of sake. And I would say, yeah, I drink, I drink peppermint schnapps. He's like, you got to bring that next time. And I'm like, yeah. So peppermint schnapps was my drink in pro wrestling. Then I got into vodka. Now I'm kind of like doing Hennessy a little bit. Very cool. Very cool. Very classy. Uh, second last one here, Tony, is the naughtiest one. It's favorite female body part. You see a good looking lady. Where did Tony Jones's eyes go to first? I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Favorite body part. What about a good looking lady? A uh, favorite female body part. You know. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite? You said something about it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> favorite. I don't, you know, dude, I don't know. Um, it all comes together, brother. Um, it's got, you know, I like, I like the breasts. I like the hips. I like the butt. Um, I like, the, I like thighs, but you know, dude, it all goes together, brother. You know, you mm. can't really have the, you can't have the, you can't have the butt without the thighs. Now you can, but to me, you know, that's when you start, you know, you start doing the plastic surgeries and all that. And it doesn't look right to me. Right. When a woman has plastic surgery on her boobs and her boobs don't look, you know, they look too perfect and all this kind of stuff. It's just not a turn on to me. I've, mm. I've talked to guys who, who totally like it. They're like, dude, I'm totally into it. I like it. I'm just not into it. I'm into real. I like, I like naturalness. Right. And for me, um, if a woman has a nice, butt, she's going to have the hips, she's going to have the thighs because it's all together. It's all part yeah. of the genetics you know, of course. And, you know, so, um, so it's almost like, you know, I don't really have a favorite part per se, because once you put the, the button perspective, now the hips look nicer and then the thighs look nicer. And then, you know, so it kind of, um, you know, I, I love, I love a beautiful woman. And I think it's just, when you, when you look at them, it's just, it's like art, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I it's agree. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, I, I, I mean, I'm, mean. I'm not trying to be. I'm not. I'm not trying to be difficult with the question. No. I just can't really say that there's one particular because I mean, some girls have great breasts, and then some girls have great, you know, behinds. And I can't sit there and say, well, I like her breasts better than I like your butt. You know, it's like no. You know, she can have a better butt than your breasts. So <laughs> I can't really. You know what I'm saying? So I, <laughs> I, I can't do. really say. I can't really say like. Sorry, dude. I can't answer that. One. <laughs> that's totally <laughs> fine. I get what you're saying. If there's, you know, if there's a nice butt, usually whatever that's connected to is probably going to be quite nice as well, etc. I understand. Yeah, like I said, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen I mean, like say on my breast, right? 
what what does that mean that I'm not going to like her butt more than your breasts because your <laughs> breast you know I'm a breast man and you have breasts therefore mm -hmm. I must like you more yeah you know what I mean it's I like you no know, this girl over here you know this girl over here could be hotter you know because she has a nice butt so yeah so that that's <laughs> that's the perspective that's a different answer than you probably ever got right <laughs> <laughs> you're correct on that one sir uh and the last one for this segment is favorite curse word. Maybe shit. <laughs> I think I yep. use that the most. Like, uh, you know, where's my shit? Or <laughs> shit, you know, or something like, you know. I use it for a lot of different, you know, emotions. So yep. I, I would say that's probably, you know, damn, but not as, I don't think it's my, I think shit. I think that's my yep. favorite cuss word. I think, I think I use it the most, yeah, of all the cuss words. Excellent yeah. choice, bro. Well, Tony Jones, I just want to thank you so much for your time uh, on the show with me. I know it's gone a little wild now, but I've had so much fun. That time has flown by. Um, it, I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm, I'm really, as a fan, I'm really proud of what you've accomplished in the wrestling business. And I like to always let everyone uh, that I interview know this, is that, you know, all the way over here in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, uh, you had a fan here. So uh, I think it was meaningful to know that you, you reached so far across the planet. Uh, and dude, it was great dude, to dude, dude, you don't know what that means for real, seriously for, you know, for, and I talked to Modest about this and Modest told me you were a super nice guy, you know, which is why I agreed to do the interview. I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't ignoring you. <laughs> you know, but, you know, a lot of times, like on Facebook, you know, you get, you know, you get messages all the time. Right. And, you know, when Mike told me, you know, that he, you that you were that you had interviewed him, I was like, oh, 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 I'm sorry, dude. Let me let me let me get back to you. You know, so um, so my apologies for being, you know, for taking for as long as for taking as long as it did, you That's know, okay. and I and I and I um, and um, and I appreciate you. Uh, um, bringing me on and caring enough about what we did, you know, to want to interview us, right? So um, when you say, oh, you reached somebody out here, you know, I'm grateful that you even care to interview us, dude. So I appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I haven't even heard all of Mike Mike's um, podcast. So I heard a little bit of it, but I want to listen. I want to listen to the whole thing, but I hope, um, I hope, I hope, you know, we got some good uh, substance out of this interview today. Absolutely, Bryce. It was really uh, great for me to learn about uh, your time in the business, learn about your journey. Uh, and this is what the most meaningful thing is for me is to like let someone out there know how much are they, you know, appreciated for, uh, you know, all the hard work that they put in and, and, and their time in the business. Thank you, man. Thank you so much, dude.